0: Here with the movie I never wanted to do Picked by Mr. Will Preston to torture me, his alleged friend yeah. <laughs> We're, we're, uh, we're going to do a deep dive into X-Men Last Stand it, it, uh, One of, no, the worst Marvel movie I have ever seen
1: I um, struggle to think of a worse Marvel movie than this Maybe Thor 2 but even then it's like that yeah. at, at least that's cohesive.
0: And and, and and I we we laid it out. We said many years ago, we've done our real and you know what, Will? We're gonna re release them. We're gonna re release the real way of listening Ugh. to the Phoenix saga. I'm gonna put them out for everyone to, to catch up on, to listen to. You never heard that before? It was more than two years ago when we did our, our real deep dive into the Phoenix saga via the conduit of the animated series. That's gonna be out for you guys to uh See how it's really done I thought we'd handled the phoenix And here I'm in Dragged back Just when I thought I was out <laughs> And we laid the table In an amazing way We had Mr Hollywood Lead us through The uh, Convoluted Three director Turnover mm-hmm. Production saga That brought this movie To fruition And the Fox executives That demanded To not do The best Marvel story Of all time do something else that has more magneto in it. We uh <laughs> heard from everyone out there in our in our listenership that really dislikes this movie except for one person who thought it was fine. Um, <laughs> and uh and here we go, ready for that deep dive. I wanna pay special homage to people that are really doing the right thing. Peter J, Brandon Schmigelski, Bastard Beer, Sam, Bindi, Soupy, Jack Davis. Billy Brown, Zubair Q, and David Fan, thank you for your support and your uh, community sensed (laughs) approach to fandom. That's what we like. Um, Check out patreon.com/slash Marvel versus Marvel for your way to support the show and for cool bonus content. Will, I mean, I know what you want to do now, but I'm going to give you the option (laughs) to not press play. Don't press play, Will. Press eject, and let's just go home. No. Nope. Let's just stop. No, but listen, listen, we don't have to do this. Listen to me. We can come up with a way around it. We can, I don't know what we could do. We could do something else instead. We could just talk. We never talk anymore. How about, instead of forcing me to relive this movie, we just have a chat for a few hours, and then we just stop. We don't have to do this, Will. Put the gun down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, Rob, we're pressing. We're pressing play. We're going to okay. do this whether you like it or not, and that's. I that. don't like it. I, I've been categorical about that. Well, you, you might change your mind, like you expected me to change my mind by backing out of this episode, which I have spent <laughs> so much time hassling you to do. It's not. We're not turning around now, Rob. Jeez. Anyway, we're pressing play. In 1986. Charles Xavier and Eric Lenshaw pay a visit to a seemingly peaceful suburban home. While Eric Lenshaw is weary at the prospect of meeting each student for Xavier's new school for gifted youngsters, Charles assures his old friend that this one is special. Charles and Eric meet the parents of the young Jean Grey who, like any normal humans, display a feeling of fear and resentment that their little girl has a quote, illness. Before Eric can get uh, angry at this remark, Charles calms the situation down by asking to see Jean. The parents leave Jean alone with Charles and Eric. Immediately, Charles psychically tells Jean that it's very rude to read his thoughts, before both him and Eric explain to the young girl that they are mutants like her. However, she doubts that, as the next second, she uses her telekinesis to lift all the cars in the street outside. Both Charles and Eric are impressed with such power from a young mutant. With Charles warning her that such a power might control her. So it's a very on-the-nose start to the film, but very quick setup. Very quick setup. We know exactly what's going on. Also, my first thought: the younger Charles and Eric was da dHCGI, but then I thought maybe it's fifteen years ago. It wasn't, but it was actually CGI because
0: it's. I, I remember it being a, a real thing at the time that the de-aging technology. The first time. I'd ever heard of it, yeah, and not th- thinking it was okay, but didn't think it was amazing. you
1: think 15 years later they would have improved on it, but then Martin Scorsese... Well, they have? Well, they're a little bit... Well, How much money and people did they spend on that last Indiana Jones film making him look, Harrison Ford, looking like his old self? They Apparently a lot of money and a lot of people... A lot of money, like but it worked. It worked, but uh, I don't know, I just thought he'd get more efficient in, as it went on, but apparently it's still a hard thing to do. So, uh, fun fact... Turning
0: back the hands of time. Not good enough for Will Preston. Why aren't they ef- more efficiently de-aging a human?
1: You don't know. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Rob. It's, Moore's, it's, the simple, it's the simple Moore's law here. Technology gets faster, smaller, and whatnot every 18 months. It's been several years. Bloody hell. Anyway, fun fact. Agent Huff, who uh, previously voiced uh, Nightcrawler in X-Men... Appears as uh, John Grey, Gene Gray's father X-Men co-creator Stan Lee and writer Chris Claremont Have cameos in the film opening scenes As the neighbours of young Gene Grey
0: I didn't spot Chris Claremont I I'm I'm, I'm am I
1: only spot Stan Lee Yeah, yeah, interesting that Jeez, why is my water floating up? <laughs> <laughs> so, I assume that this is how Gene Grey Is first discovered by Professor X in the comics It's kind of like this, uh
0: She's very young. Um well, okay. Hmm.
1: Hmm.
0: So let's do the let's do the publication history and then the retcon. <laughs> so in the very first issue of X Men in nineteen sixty three, Xavier already has his school up and running. And he's got Cyclops, Iceman, Beast and Angel. They're already there living in the school. Um, having lessons on how to not be a, how to be a better mutant. Mm. Then he announces to the lads, a new pupil is starting. And they go, oh. And, he goes, and it's a teenage girl. And the lads all <laughs> race to the window to see a girl. These horny 1960s teens. And then they see, it's a dame. It's a, no, not a dame, wrong lingo. It's a doll. It's a doll getting out of the car. Yikes. And then they all sprint off to their bedrooms, To put on aftershave and comb their hair And put on their best clothes And then they're all lined up when when Jean arrives And she's been summoned to this exclusive school But doesn't know why And doesn't know why her parents have let her go Without accompanying her and stuff Mm. And and then Xavier explains about mutant powers And their mutants And the X-Men and all of that So that's her first appearance And that's when she first meets Professor Xavier But no it isn't (laughs) Just wait Um, Years later as the stories kind of change and adapt and change Jean's abilities. Because she has no telepathic powers to begin with mm. in the X-Men comic. She only has telekinetic powers. Yes. And then they uh, she develops telepathic powers. And there's a retcon introduced years later. And it's something that Jean doesn't know about because she wasn't conscious for it. So... Jean's mutant power first kind of manifested when she was very young. And it was both telepathy and telekinesis. So her best friend was hit by a car and killed. And Jean was so close to this young friend at the time, they were mentally linked. She was mentally linked with her friend when she felt her friend die. And the psychic shockwave of that, the psychic trauma of that, nearly killed Jean. She... Left her comatose Um, And Her parents sought the help Of um, Someone that could help it was Charles Xavier Uh, And kind of unbeknownst to The parents Who used his psychic telepathic powers To reach her consciousness um, He first of all Blocked her telepathy Hmm. Was like she is too young These powers should manifest when she's a teenager Not at such a young age Like ten or whatever it was. It's like stomach stapling for the mind. That's exactly what they say, Will. You're right. <laughs> um and so he blocks her telepathic powers until she's older, and he brings her out of the coma. And she has no memory of the trauma and all that's gone on because she was in a coma. So she doesn't remember meeting Professor Xavier. So that's how they get around this thing of well, hang on, doesn't that news story contradict X-Men issue number one? Yeah. Well, no, because she was in a coma and doesn't remember meeting him and Xavier's pretending <laughs> that he's never met her before.
1: Um and so yeah she 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 joins the team as Marvel Girl. Very and, um, very nice way of retconning that slightly or not retconning but explaining the difference along the way. <laughs> I
0: think it, it yeah it probably is yeah. it probably is a retcon it's retroactive use of continuity isn't it but I guess it, it, the way that retcons are used in general it, 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 the way they're spoken about is the DC method which is And then the universe exploded, and we started again from scratch. (laughs) Um,
1: And Marvel don't tend to do that. like tend to go... It it, it gets some imaginative writing happening. I love it. I am am here for it, even when it's ridiculous. In 1996, industrialist Warren Worthington knocks on the bathroom door, asking what his son Warren, Warren Worthington III is doing in there. Inside, the young boy is painfully cutting off the growth spurting from his back using whatever he can find from razors to scissors. As his father breaks down the door, the young Warren tries to hide the bloody blades and soiled tissues from his father's sight, but it's too late. The elder Warren looks on in sickening disappointment as he sees his son has been trying to hide the white feathered wings sprouting from his back now reduced to blood and feathers on the floor. Breaking down in tears, he apologises to his father for being a mutant. I, This is one of the bits I really love. i found always found this heartbreaking because it's the subtext. Obviously, it's quite obvious subtext. It feels like a parent discovering that their kid is LGBT or, or whatnot and sees nothing but shame, and they are sorry for existing. The child mm. is sorry for existing. It's like... That comes through so well, and this is such a great little moment, I thought.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Yeah. it's a shame, again, that this movie doesn't quite know what it wants to say about about that. If it it is an allegory for the LGBT community, they have some... I don't think the movie knows what it wants to say, because they have... Here are the positives of stopping being who you are (laughs) And then here are the negatives And so it just doesn't want to pick a a lane And so I I don't quite know if the allegory works well in this
1: I get why it's not picking a lane But yeah, it doesn't seem to want to go too deep at either side Just in case it feels like it's picking a side No, it's The the movie ends
0: with Rogue going And I
1: stopped being a mutant
0: And I'm happy (laughs) Because that's a weird message So I don't really know what they're trying to do Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's very odd Also, they didn't bother using the X-Men theme film, no. film to, to this but they they did some paint by numbers naughty store instead and I was like oh this feels like a cheap straight to video affair
0: massively yeah it, like the booming <sighs> anthem of the first two movies mm. like I don't understand why I didn't I didn't like the title sequence in this
1: it was um, it was just it meant nothing it was nothing going on with the title sequence it in
0: fact in fact it doesn't even have the, the doesn't have the titles does it it's just here's some oh does it have does uh, it have I words on it i can't remember but it's like here's the cure we invented the cure but it, uh, it's not is nowhere near as good as like x-men one and x-men two when we've got that booming theme song score kind of music and you've got the dna stuff with yep. all
1: stars names that was a, a great way of doing it what i loved in the first two films was where you get uh, charles xavier talking at the start when, when when it's just going to go into the titles and it's always brilliant. Like one of them, I always love. I don't know if it's yeah. one or two where he just goes. What was it? He's talking about mutants and humans sharing the same planet, but but humans are not very famous for sharing. And it's like, oh, there it is. Yeah. There's the setup. That that felt like something that should definitely have been carried on mm. for the
0: third movie. I t- it, mm. it it it's almost like. Uh, the, the care and attention that went into making the opening of mm. those two movies and the title sequence felt s- similar, not the same, obviously, but similar to, like, a Bond movie. It yes. always has yes. its signatures. Yeah, And and despite the fact it's going to be a different actor and a different director and a, a different tone of movie or whatever, it's got its signatures that let you know, man, I'm going to see a big, cool movie.
1: Yeah, And the
0: first two X-Men movies have that. It's a real shame. They just... If this is meant to be the closing chapter... They just ditched it to not do it for no for seemingly no reason because it's not better without it. It's and it's not <laughs> so different without. It's just we kind of did it a little bit, but no, yeah, it, we, no
1: music, it, yeah. no titles. If only we had a little, uh, going through this, we keep a tally on things we didn't like or something, <laughs> <laughs> and then count them up how many things we didn't like at the end.
0: It- Which is one, one. Mm.
1: Uh, that's my counter. Well, I've counted Okay, one. Okay, don't worry, we don't have to. I just thought it would be a nice idea, but now oh, okay. I feel like I'm, I'm putting pressure on you to keep count. Anyway, in a post-apocalyptic landscape, we find Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, Iceman, Kitty Pride, and Rogue dodging explosions and laser fire. Iceman freezes a missile, but is almost hit by a second one before Kitty Pride uses her phasing powers on them both, letting the missile fly through them. Seeing her boyfriend embrace another girl, Rogue is visibly upset, but carries on the fight. Seeing a giant robot head through the smoke, Storm tells Wolverine that the younger X-Men aren't ready. However, Logan has a plan. Wolverine orders Colossus to throw him at the robot. Flying through the air with claws at the ready, Logan screams before a giant robot head tumbles to the floor in front of the rest of the team. With the fight over, Wolverine tells them that class is dismissed before the scene fades away. They were in the danger room, in 2006 all along so this bit got me excited when i first saw it because i was like yes we're finally getting sentinels and it was an easter egg yeah yeah um, i
0: agree I, I knew it was the danger room right from the beginning and i knew that, that was meant to be a sentinel but i really thought the sentinel was going to come out of the darkness and we were going to see the actual sentinel and the, it felt yeah. like when you just see the head they were like saying it's just too expensive, too expensive. to make this it makes me a
1: shame it made me think of like the first terminator film you can only see like in the future you see sometimes you see a glimpse or something of a terminator mm. robot but in the second one in the opening scenes you show full terminator <clears> robots going for it. it's like the difference between see, the two.
0: yeah i mean i part of me always really liked that about the first one, because mm. it makes them... Something you can't see is that much scarier. Yeah, But then yeah. I
1: do love the second
0: one. So I don't God,
1: know. I, I could go on for ages about those two films. Anyway, I won't. I'll go on forever about this film instead, because that's my Saturday on their way out of the training <laughs> session. Storm criticises Logan for going against their plan for a defensive exercise, with Logan retorting that the best defence is a good offence. Meanwhile, Scott Summers, alone in his room, is still traumatized at losing Jean Grey in the flood at Alkali Lake. Elsewhere, Bobby Drake tries to reason with an angry rogue, but the sight of him with Kitty Pride has put tension on their relationship. Catching up with Scott, Logan tries to have a heart-to-heart with a mutant regarding Jean Grey. Still traumatized, Scott shakes off Logan's attempts and storms off. It's weird seeing Wolverine being nice to Scott like this. <laughs> is this something that's happened in the comics Or is this just them going like ah, Maybe they should be a bit nicer He is the main character after all He should be nice I, I don't 100% know about the first time
0: that Jean dies So this, in the comics after Jean dies for a second time mm. um, Sort of But not really uh, No she definitely dies It's whether she the second time It's whether she died the first time It's uh, under consideration Because mm. she didn't Anyway uh, Jean dies Died. Scott moves on pretty quick to start a physical relationship with Emma Frost, mm. um, as in they hook up at her funeral. <laughs> um, yes, lads. And Joss Whedon's astonishing X-Men uh, in the first issue, which is a direct continuation of that of that mm. the Grant Morrison story. Scott wakes up in bed with Emma, Emma Frost, and then with Emma Frost. Oh, yeah. yes. What?
1: Why? Did, oh, what, sorry. What? Other you... Emma? Would it have been? <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. I yeah, you're right. Yeah, I guess I had a bit of my my meds keep kicking in.
0: <laughs> okay. Hmm. So he wakes up in bed with Emma to find perched at the bottom of the bed on like the wooden frame, perched like a gargoyle with his hands between his legs, little Wolverine <laughs> staring at them, snarling. And his opening line of the comic is, "So." Which stage of grieving is this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so good! It's so good! Oh, I've just so been hard. Writing I feel X-Men. dizzy. Oh god.
0: Joss Whedon writing X Men is brilliant. Scott, immediately, optic blasts him through the wall and out into the garden, and then the two lads have just this big public fight over Gene.
1: Has he had and- time to put a towel on or something?
0: i don't know he's wearing clothes oh. and then like hank mccoy kind of leads into the shattered window he's like hmm the children are watching all of this and emma is yeah. watching on unamused and emma frost says to herself well says to hank superpowers a scintillating wit and the best body money can buy and i still rate somewhere below a corpse
1: <laughs> strides off Honestly, Joss
0: Whedon writing X Men is brilliant, and Grant Morrison introducing Emma Frost to the X Men was the, one of the best decisions because Morrison and Whedon both
1: write her brilliantly as this catty, snippy, smart person. It's great. That's I could tell that was some Joss Whedon. So I can tell it from the, the Avengers movies. That's still that's that that snippy. Very acerbic sort of wit with some people. It's just like well, oh. he
0: gets a bunch of jokes into the first X Men movie because he wrote a, he wrote a pass on the he, he's he's he wrote an, one of the X Men scripts, but he, they didn't use it. But right. some of his stuff works in. Oh. So the two lines of of um, uh, Storm says to Toad, "Do you know what happens to a Toad when it gets struck by lightning?" Hmm. And he says, hmm? And she says, "The same thing as anything else," and then electrocutes him. That's a Whedon line. Um, and then the one where Mystique is impersonating lots of people, and they don't know who's who. Mm. And Cyclops says, "Wolverine, how do I know it's really you?" And he says, "You're a dick." <laughs> <laughs> he goes, okay, yeah. that's him. Yeah, that's another Whedon. another another Joss Whedon line. Yeah,
1: good stuff. <laughs> At a secret meeting with the president and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Hank McCoy, a blue furry mutant and member of the U.S. Sec- cabinet as uh, Secretary for Mutant Affairs, is called in for an important Homeland Security update. Their intelligence has been monitoring the whereabouts of Magneto with limited success. However, they reveal on a large monitor that they have been able to apprehend one of Magneto's followers, Mystique. Her interrogator wants to know where Magneto is, but Mystique stonewalls before assaulting everyone in in the room in an attempt to escape. Ending the interrogation video, the president reveals to Hank the real reason for this meeting. Mystique sold something important from the FDA, a young mutant called Jimmy, a.k.a. Leech. This alarms Hank and reminds the president that this will have an alarming impact on the mutant community. So as we've said it, we've said it before we've she, said hasn't st- she hasn't stole the mutant She oh, stole the information That was it that, that was It's important information like She knows where he is knows Or what he is or something. That was it Yeah, yeah I'm bad at writing uh, words <laughs> um, As we've all said Kelsey Grammer's Beast Dream casting for me uh, And one of the other things That this movie did well uh, it, uh, Coming back to this I was thinking Ah it's going to be After watching all of Frasier and, go- and coming back to this I'll be like Ah it was only a novelty thing But I think he does a good job I think Kelsey Grammer Actually does a good job <clears throat>
0: It's I he doesn't feel like Beast to me personally. It is Frasier
1: in a furry costume. It's
0: furry yeah. Frasier. There's something about um the comic book Hank McCoy that has um a lot more wisdom and a lot more uh warmth uh and, and humor to him. Yeah. But but this is a really, really interesting character mm. that is completely different from any of the other action characters yeah. in this movie or in any other superhero movie. It's it's in the context of the movies, it's really interesting. It's really different, and it was really good. It, yeah, it's, it's, he he isn't quite like. I, I don't I don't like the perfect casting line because it doesn't quite work <laughs> for me. Yeah, but yeah. he's
1: really it's a really great character. He's uh, yeah I mean I mean you got him basically here being a diplomat. It's like we're coming up to the end of his arc almost. Like he's been mm. in the background we haven't seen him but now he's kind yeah, of like Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like we
0: get Yeah. Iceman is a kid, Cyclops is an older is an older guy. <laughs> Beast is even older and retired and now working for the government. An angel as a child that has never joined the X Men. I, I that, but as a that was that chafes a little bit as a long time comic book fan. But I, it shouldn't do. It should. not But I wasn't. I, I wasn't quite in the mode yet of
1: you just have to put a lot of that to one side. I know. I know. Well, I think you get used to it when you come to the MCU and go, "Oh my god, they're doing an interesting thing with this." They're doing they, interesting they kind. Thing. Yeah,
0: they kind of do it a bit better with the MCU. Yeah. I think they 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 get the main ones done
1: right, mm. and the other ones, it's like. You well, just have to kind of go with it mold it What well, we've done so far um instantly recognized mystiques interrogator uh, anthony held as uh, aka dr chilton from the silence of the lambs he's he is terrible
0: at, at, at interrogating people that's what we've learned
1: i think he's he's also terrible at, at, at containing a prisoner but that's another thing <laughs> in, mm. in silence of the lambs he's he always ha- every time i've seen him in something he always plays like upper class sort of people who are insecure and quite incompetent They do such a good job
0: in that movie of Mm. creating a character so smarmy you want a cannibal to eat him that like <laughs> they, what they do is they go they create this this yeah. this, this this bad guy yeah. and then go we're gonna give you enough stuff that so you're kind of on the bad guy's side yeah and we're gonna create this smarmy self-centered person that you will want the bad guy to kind of get revenge on it's it's masterfully written it, one of the best movies man. It's yes it's just hundred
1: times, yes. And another thing, because I've read the books as well, and I absolutely adore Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs. They're great books. Great books. Uh,
0: I I don't think they were very good. I don't think Silence of the Lambs was a terribly good book.
1: I I, I don't know. I've read them both twice, and even the second time, I'm really into it. But, you know, know, whatever. We'll we'll agree or disagree. I I, I enjoy them. That's what happens. Um, uh, There's one thing they did in the film. There's a few few nice touches they did in the film, but one thing they did uh, was add the line at the end, uh, as as Hannibal Lecter's calling Clarice and staring off at Dr. Chilton. He goes, ah, I'm having an old friend for dinner. It's just like, I love that. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's very cheesy, but I just love that line. Anyway, anyway, uh, this interrogation scene, I spotted a problem with this scene on the rewatch. Like everyone in the meeting, right? Just to make it clear, everyone in this meeting is watching a video of Mystique's interrogation, but we're seeing the interrogation, but it's not from the video they're seeing that we're seeing it from a multi-camera setup, like the scene has switched to there, and it would have made better sense to have a static CCTV shot for this. I have no idea what you're talking about, really. Okay. I understand
0: what a multi room setup is. Like, like a under-
1: multi camera setup in the yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, Because, yeah, yeah. you know, like. But
0: I don't understand.
1: Because like, usually what's with this the kind problem. of scene is they're watching a single camera shot. Why would you have a multi camera setup in an interrogation? Like, like that.
0: Oh, so what they're watching on a monitor. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it really matters. Yeah. But I see what you. See.
1: It's, I, it's a minor it, discrepancy. You threw me off a little slightly on this, but this yeah. is because. I've run out of other things to complain about with this film, and now I'm looking for new things. <laughs> anyway, back at the school, Charles teaches a class on ethics before showing the students a video of Doctor Moira McTaggart presenting a comatose patient who, while in possession of a working body, has no—sorry, uh, ha- was born without consciousness. Charles, pos- what, what does that mean? <laughs> I think it means, like... who's <laughs> born brain dead. Yeah, brain dead, essentially. Yeah. Like, like, he, like, he has no upper brain function, but, <laughs> but there's another brain power to keep the body alive, but there's no... I don't want to say sentience. I'll just say sentience. You know, there's, okay. there's, there's no higher brain activity. That's it. It's just mm. a, you know, farting thing. Uh, Charles posits to the class whether or not it would be ethical to transfer <laughs> the consciousness of a dying man into the man's unconscious body. And he revisits this at the end of the movie, where his answer is, "It's fine. It's fine. It's
0: fine. If if I'm the one that's dying, this is fine to do."
1: Oh, Charles dismisses the. Yeah, this.
0: I remember watching this, and it leapt out at me, and I just went. Uh, we should remember this scene because it's going to be important later. <laughs>
1: yeah, they, they 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 really you can see, you can see Brett Ratner stepping on the set and putting a large pin on it, <laughs> just like remember this, kids.
0: like the the bit in Wayne's World where they meet the limo driver that has a lot, a lot of, of information. information, and he
1: turns to the camera and goes, "Wow, that was that yeah. was awfully convenient to get that amount of information." Like, yeah, that.
0: yeah. we should probably remember this for later.
1: <laughs> God, it's such an intelligent film. Points. Back at the school, Charles teaches a class... Oh, sorry. Um, why no. am I going to... You throw me off, Rob. How dare you. Sorry. Oh, I should
0: stop talking in this podcast
1: where we talk. Sorry, 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 sorry. Well, I should stop distracting you with this episode about this film I don't want to watch. Uh, suddenly, Charles <laughs> falls silent as a large cloud looms outside. Charles dismisses the class before joining Storm outside, who undoes the storm clouds. Discussing Storm's frustration with her, Charles mentions that he would like her to take his place one day, seeing that Scott isn't currently fit to take the mantle the two mutants along with logan head to meet their old friend dr hank mccoy in charles office hank discusses the discovery he was presented with a cure for the mutant gene but storm can argue but storm car uh, <coughs> sorry but before storm uh, can argue with hank about this charles stops them sensing that's an important announcement about it is being made right now so I don't want to you know, nitpick again, but there's around this point where I noticed, um, oh sorry, I'll, I'll get on to that bit, but first, like, usually in a thing like this, there's a TV on in the background, or a paper or something, but instead it's like, oh sorry, Charles is going, I'm sensing that a highly publicised event is happening right now, it's a shame I didn't put a TV in my office.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know, but isn't it a more interesting way of getting to that when you've got a psychic or a telepath that knows lots of stuff?
1: It is, but it feels like I'm going to take the jet to go to the shops. It feels like, you know, a bit, a bit, a bit too much. Feels, okay. eh, never mind. But it, but it was around this point where I noticed the script just felt weak. The dialogue it feels very pedestrian and lifeless.
0: I don't think Halle Berry is good. In, this. In any of these films, yeah, she... and I mm. think when a scene relies on her having a conversation with somebody, I think it falls down. It's a real shame because she she she, she can she can act, but they give. Um, it... I, I don't know. She won an Oscar, so she didn't she? No, must have. Did she win an Oscar? Wait, I don't know, but I've seen her do. I remember Gothica was good. I never saw it, and she was good. In I top, never seen, seen her, the her in anything films. where I, she, I've never in, in no film I've ever seen her in. ever thought she's anything other than just you know a regular paint by numbers kind of actor that could be in you know read lines and stuff.
1: Although, I mean, she's not Kim Bassinger. Well, I don't know. She's had some good roles. She early. is not Kim Bassinger. That's true. Oh, right. <laughs> I don't know. But, I, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so does Storm ever take over as leader in the of the X Men in the original stories? Because I always assumed that basically was what Cyclops was going to do.
0: What Cyclops is going to take over. Yes,
1: take over, yeah, because I always thought he was being well, groomed to take over, wasn't he? Um
0: well in the comics you would you would say that Cyclops is the leader of the X Men. Yeah. And Charles is like, I don't know what you call it. I guess Charles they, they kinda of call it field leader or <laughs> deputy the, leader. Yeah, like yeah. he like Xavier is like runs everything mm. but Scott leads the team. Yes. Um yes. In the 80s Scott leaves the X-Men To start a family And settle down With his new wife Madeline And have a baby Hmm. And Storm Replaces him As as the team leader Um, And she goes through Quite a radical change In this period of time From from this kind of Maybe slightly more naive Like at the start Clement is writing This very odd character Because you know A white person With perhaps not A lot of experience Of anyone from Africa Writes her as this Very slightly kind of naive and overly exotic person that Mm. always likes to where i come from in africa we walk around naked all the time do you is that a modern (laughs) thing that would happen in the 1970s in one of the biggest continents in the anyway um and so it's all she's she's so she's slightly written to be a a more an exotic character she goes for a very radical change in the 80s she embraces her more aggressive side her darker side um she cuts her hair into a striking mohawk Mm -hmm. and starts wearing a sleeveless leather jacket she's badass
1: yeah during her
0: time as leader she loses her powers um and but she's so badass that she carries on as leader of the team um and in fact when cyclops returns to active duty and wants to resume his position As leader, she Mm. refuses, and they have a fight in the Danger Room for leadership. Winner, winner leads the X Men, and with no powers, she beats Cyclops. (laughs) Um, Amazing! She constantly like outpaces him and avoids him, and she's 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 ahead in. And Scott's like, I've been spending too long as a family man and forgot a lot of stuff i'm a i'm a step behind go and home and be a family man <laughs> yeah she snatches the visor off his head which forces him to close his eyes oh. and then she's like you're blind you're effectively disabled without your visor i'm the winner go home scott and he just literally like hangs his head and walks out and is like i have no place
1: left on this team that's that's some schoolyard bullying right there like nice glasses four eyes <laughs> except you and, know and then, yeah
0: eventually in the, in the in the early 90s they they they, they return all the old x men to the fold and they have this big cast of x men and they split it into two teams uh, the gold team and the blue team and blue team is led by cyclops but gold team is led by storm so she never really loses that position of like top kind of she's, she's, yeah. uh, you know she's you know a top 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 leader there yeah
1: i was just thinking just now uh... <laughs> I I don't know about uh, a dream casting, but in, in an alternate world, if if she hadn't already been cast as a Koye in Black Panther, Denai Go- uh, Guerrera as Storm, sure, yeah, I yeah. reckon that would be s- oh, perfect, absolutely perfect. But you know, she's she's great as a Koye too. Anyway, at Alcatraz in San Francisco, Warren's father presents a press conference in front of the new Worthington Labs on the island. Holding up a large vial in front of the press, Warren presents a mutant cure. Back in Charles' office, Charles, Logan, Storm, and Hank discuss the mutant cure, with Storm saying that mutants don't need to be cured, and Hank pointing out that this should be a choice for all mutants. The next minute, Rogue interrupts them, excited about the news of the cure. Rogue might be finally able to have human contact again. So, there's a there's a really good discussion over changing oneself to fit into society better through sci-fi means that could have been explored better in this film like or in a better film
0: in a better film, in a better film. sorry explore more in a better. i, That's I think correct if yeah. there was
1: like you know you get you occasionally you get those not quite high blockbuster but quite in, really well done you they're usually done by uh, alex garland like X Machina, and then you have Moon, and you have sure. stuff like that, where you get your whole film isn't a, an explosive action blockbuster with sci-fi stuff. Your film is exploring some really tricky, uh, so sociological and humanity-based-based uh, based questions and scenarios. It is it's,
0: which is sort of the base, you know, speculative fiction as it used to be called.
1: Speculative fiction, and and it, and it could be good, but this doesn't. This feels like no. this idea yeah. has been trapped in the. Bloated carcass of <laughs> this film, yeah and it's like oh, ah. Can we have
0: guns that can take away Magneto's powers? We've got, yes, we can.
1: Yeah. That's what we can do. We can do that. You know, it, 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 anyway, yeah. So does I take it this cure must have popped up in the comics? This, they, they I can't imagine Brett Ratner and the rest of the team coming up <laughs> with this idea with their imagination.
0: It, it, it's Joss Whedon that introduces this idea of when he is. launches the 2004 series Astonishing X-Men. Um, a company called uh, Bean Tech, or Bain Tech, mm. uh, B-E-N-E, and introduces uh, or announces they've, they've discovered um, a way to reverse mutations, mm. a serum developed by world-renowned geneticist from India, Dr. Kavita Rao. Um, she explains uh, that she regards mutants... The mutant gene is a corruption of healthy tissue, Hello. which goes on in, th- in this as well, and mm-hmm. justifies her research by looking at mutants who who have who have hurt other people or killed other people or committed suicide because of their powers. Um, and the serum that she develops is called Hope, <laughs> as it's going to let mutants live ordinary lives and stop them from being a danger to themselves and others. Um, it is presented with a real. It, it presents a real ethical quandary to the world, mm. especially the X-Men, who were split on whether it's legit, if there's something sinister behind it, whether it's a good idea. Wolverine declares any X-Man who takes the cure is a coward mm-hmm. and a traitor. Um, but then Hank feels very differently. Um, he is literally a giant beast covered in blue fur. Um, he says he hasn't looked human since he was like twenty, yeah, he can't walk down the street like Wolverine can. And the front cover to the issue is quite powerful. It shows a close up of Hank's blue hairy paw holding a framed photo of himself when he was a young man, looking like a real, looking like a well, a real person having human features. Yeah, um, and Hank visits Bane Tech, and they eventually they find out that the that it's been it's a legit cure, but it's been developed. By performing illegal experiments on, on on a mutant they've kept in, in captivity for many years. The X-Men stole a facility to destroy all the... Like, you expect this, this to last, somehow. Mm. It's over in, like, five or six issues. They destroy all the research, and they destroy um, every vial of hope, except for one that Hank uh goes home with Ooh. and it's left open-ended as to whether hank is going to do anything with this
1: i like that um
0: and i don't believe it ever comes up again
1: maybe he just thought twice about it and was like eh.
0: I... <laughs> well he must have done yeah but if he has it and he is a genius geneticist as he is that means hank can develop more and cure anybody or take anyone's powers away if he wants but yeah. it's again it's never come up again
1: that's fair At an abandoned church in New York City, a group of mutants meet to discuss and debate the news of the cure. While some argue that this is only voluntary, others say that this is the start of a genocide. The debate then is silenced by the booming voice of Magneto emerging from the back of the crowd. Approaching the stage with Pyro by his side, Magneto, drawing from his experience (coughs) in the Holocaust, proclaims that this is indeed the first signs of an upcoming genocide. This attracts the attention of some of the mutants who join Magneto's cause. Magneto is a particularly impressed by Callisto, who has the ability of super speed and the ability to sense mutants and their powers. Realizing an opportunity, Magneto asks for her help locating a particular mutant. So this is another scene that will always remember stays with me, and I, I still like It really comes across like someone who's lived through something horrible and seeing it happening again. Uh, especially when he reveals his Holocaust tattoo. He's like, hey, have you got any ink? And he goes, I've I, i I've had it once and no needle shall ever touch my skin again. And it's like, ooh, damn.
0: McKellen elevates the material. He re- um, I- I'm not sure if this is a great scene. McKellen's very, very good.
1: I think it's what McKellen says rather than the scene itself. I just think, like, nobody talks about it. They just do it. And it's like, yes, there it is. There's finally some good bit of script writing.
0: Yeah, I. I- I remember, yeah, there's some powerful lines over the years with all this, but it, it tends to actually more relate to the registration of mutants rather than the cure. The cure, mm. as I said, it's not it, it lasts for six issues and it's kind of gone. Yeah. When Climate was writing the X-Men in the 80s, mm. the idea of mutant registration was the big political issue yeah. that lasted through the 80s and into the 90s. And the Moira McTaggart says it, I think, or maybe Magneto says it as well, Registration today, gas chambers, chambers tomorrow. That was the 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 focus, the idea. It was yeah, kind
1: of kind of how it was done in Nazi Germany. It was hmm. through little steps, and yes, the 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 parallels just amazing. Also, two of the actors here, interestingly, two of the actors here appeared in the last season of The Sopranos. Denia Ramirez, who plays Callisto, was AJ's girlfriend Bianca, and Ken. <laughs> Didn't recognise her Did not recognise See someone else Pointed it out And I had to Look at her as Bianca And then look at her as Callisto And it's Yeah it's really hard to recognise And Ken Young uh, Who played Quill Was Uncle Junior's Protégé Carter Chong yeah, Ken's a great actor He's, he's, he's always going and stuff Very good Very good Outside the city An armoured convoy Transporting several Powerful mutants Including Mystique Is being tra- Is being taken Across the country In Inside the secure container Mystique taunts And threatens her guard Using her powers Oh, Worthing- uh,
0: that seems really funny.
1: Yeah, which pretends to be the president. That seems
0: very funny when, it's, not, it's, the, it's the guard. It's the guard who says to a small girl, keep it up, <laughs> bitch, and I'll tase you in the face. Yeah. That's like really, really funny.
1: It's good. It's a really, really good bit, that bit. At Worthington Labs on Alcatraz Island, Hank is introduced to Jimmy, the mutant being used to produce the cure, by Dr. Cavito Rao. The high-priority mutant child is kept in isolation, and when Hank reaches out to shake the boy's hand, Hank's paw is transformed to that of a normal human hand. Staring at his human hand with almost teary astonishment, Hank tells Jimmy he has an amazing gift. Walking away from the child causes Hank's hand to turn back to its previous mutant form. I... Yeah, another moment I liked. Again, child apologising for his powers. Nice touch. Nice touch. Um, So... I mean, is there a mutant? In the comics who can take away mutant powers is Leech a character, or will we talk about that later?
0: Yeah, Leech is a character. Um, looks very, very different. Does not look human at all. Does um, not look
1: like uh, a very, very young Billy Corgan.
0: No, uh, Leech is like kind of uh, green skinned. Oh. Um, has big yellow eyes and only three fingers on each hand. Um, a very almost monstrous you know kind of a, a, you know just an, an odd fantastical form but it's like a like an 11 year old boy um, oh he was in the speaks, cartoon series I remember yeah. yeah right there you go yeah. speaks in broken English and um, always speaks in the third person Leech mm. is hungry things like that his parents left him to die when his mutation became apparent Ooh. which is horrible um he ends up becoming a part of the the more locks, which we've got. There's so many more locks in this episode. We're going to talk about that as we got get going. Mm. Um Leech can yeah, he can dampen or completely suppress uh any kind of mutant ability um around him. In fact, it's actually not just mutants, it's any superpowered being. Um And I think there's a range of like 50 feet on it. Mm. Um, And he, over the years, uh, eventually he can control the dampening field. He can restrict it all the way in so it doesn't happen until someone touches him or it's naturally at around 50 feet. Um, And uh, so... Yeah, he, he can't he he can be used tactically occasionally, but he's a kid. Yeah, um, so it doesn't really. He's looked after by the the original X Men. Find him, and when they're operating as a, another team called X Factor, and then he ends up becoming a ward of various different teams of the X Men. I think he ends up living with the Fantastic Four in the Baxter Building. Um, he's got a friend called I think it's Artie who can't speak but can psychically project um, pictures and images of what he's thinking. Mm. So he can't say I'm hungry, but he'll psychically project in the air or into your mind a picture yeah. of a hamburger. <laughs> and then you go, okay, you're hungry, let's go get you a burger. So Leech and Artie kind of hang out and and uh, Artie is has a similar appearance to Lynch but he's to
1: leech but he's pink skinned and yeah he's a character. Oh, that's quite cute. <laughs> At Alkali Lake, Scott Summers approaches the shore and starts hearing the voice of Gene Sorry, Jean Grey yelling out to him, reaching such an intensity that he screams and blasts the water with his ocular beams.
0: Optic blasts. I ain't doing this again.
1: Sorry, but when I was writing this down, I was there going, well, what does he bloody call it again? (laughs) Optic blasts.
0: Ocular beams. I don't know why it's more ridiculous than optic blasts, but it just... It's so not like a, a punchy 60s comic book term, Oculum. I,
1: Oculum I, 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 yeah, I, I know, I know. But to be fair, it, 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 there's a 100% chance that I will not have to say Oculum <laughs> again after this bit. <laughs> uh, suddenly, a whirlpool forms in the lake before Scott is knocked down by a blast wave. Looking up, Scott sees a bright light coming from the lake that diminishes, leaving the alive and unharmed Gene Gray standing before him as scott embraces his previous lost previously lost love Jean asks scott to remove his visors saying she can control his power as scott relinquishes and opens his bare eyes the <clears throat> i wrote it again didn't i the optic blasts diminish before the two kiss however as they embrace Jean starts to drain scott of his life killing him as this is happening, everyone back at the school is suddenly alerted to Charles's psychic disturbance. Logan rushes into the professor's office asking if Xavier is okay. Charles immediately orders them to get to Alkali Lake. It does feel like this movie story is so it's rushing through everything as fast as it can. Oh. There's, no, there's no pause for breath in the worst way possible. It's... Yeah. yeah. So... That was an, so. Basically, she does kind of drain him What was happening there? Because he's just sort of like he's all oh, no know. idea. It's horrific, I guess. Like, does no idea does Jean attack Scott like this in the comics?
0: Well, when she becomes the the Dark Phoenix, she attacks all of the X Men. Of course, yeah. Um, she she they're uh, flying in the X plane. She blows it up um, with no care for for how uh, or if they survive. Mm. They all have to quickly race to save themselves and each other's um from falling to their deaths mm. um and then she starts attacking them. Um, and it's um it is she just wipes the floor with them, and she's clearly enjoying it. In fact, Scott has this um in a monologue as he's analyzing her, this woman that he's got a psychic rapport with that he's known his whole life. And he says, Gene is enjoying this. Mm. Using her power is turning her on. Acting like the ultimate physical stimulant, it's a uh, an interesting uh, turn of affairs with, with when Jimmy becomes the dark the dark phoenix, um, and she she just she's able to pick pick their minds in the blink of an eye. She knows exactly what they're about to do the moment they think of it. Mm. So she just just none of them have a, not even Wolverine have a chance against her, and and she's she's really evil and enjoying it. She is she has these she no longer has pupils. When she's the mm. Dark Phoenix, she has these blank, white, soulless eyes yeah. and a malevolent grin like a Cheshire cat as she's just toying with them, using her full powers to torture them and, and hurt them and stuff. And they're just... She'll even pretend to be... Like, right before Wolverine's about to stab her, she turns back... She pretends to turn back into Jean and is mm. like, oh, please, I, it hurts so much. And then he's like, oh, Jeannie! And then she just... Hurts yeah. him more It's uh, So yeah it's a, it's a lot of, of uh, Mind effing And brutal fighting that goes on with the Dark Phoenix God
1: Taking the Blackbird to Alkali Lake Logan and Storm land amongst A heavy fog covering everything Storm uses her powers To clear the That's fog That's what it's like in the mind of a muggle I knew, I knew that was the reference you were doing <laughs> Awful man This is your punishment uh, Revealing various rocks and water drops floating around Defying gravity approaching the uh sorry storm uses her powers to clear the fog i should have said at the beginning there but you put me off because you're a rude man approaching the shore logan finds cyclops sunglasses floating in the air and takes them suddenly storm calls for logan and he rushes over storm has found the unconscious body of Jean gray back at the lab under the x-mansion Jean is taken into care by Charles, who deduces that Jean must have subconsciously protected herself at the time with a cocoon of telekinetic energy. Charles explains to Logan that Jean is a class 5, the most powerful mutant he's ever come across and one with limitless power. However, within Jean's subconscious lies an alternative dark personality called the Phoenix. In Jean's youth, Charles was able to help her set up various psychic boundaries from allowing this dangerous side of her to emerge. Given the traumatic event that almost killed her, there is no way of knowing whether or not the Phoenix is in control of Jean. In the meantime, Charles will be using his powers to keep Jean under a coma so he can restore the psychic blocks. But Logan, a mutant with a history of torture and confinement, is disgusted at Charles keeping Jean prisoner. But Charles tells him, that logan has no idea how powerful Jean is when charles described the phoenix to logan as a creature uh, as a creature of pure desire and joy and rage uh, all i heard was hey logan that chick you fancied who's now not dead there's a chance she might be really horny now <laughs> <laughs> that's all i heard with that uh, so I assume this isn't how Jean Grey becomes the Phoenix in the comics, considering we did an episode on it.
0: No. um, No, it's not this hidden, buried part of her personality, or a split personality, or anything like that, really. Um, The X-Men are on a mission in space, Mm. and they stop some bad guys, and they rescue a doctor called Corbeau, uh, and as they're flying back, the, the, the ship that they're The shuttle they're piloting back has been damaged. And there's a solar flare approaching. um, And it will kill everybody in its wake. Um, But the the, the shuttle is going to help them escape. But the autopilot has been damaged. Um, There is a containment room in the shuttle that has radiation shielding. And it will protect the passengers from the solar flares. But someone has to remain on the bridge to manually pilot the shuttle Back to Earth. And whoever that pilot is will be incinerated by the solar flare. Jean volunteers for that suicide mission because she's like, right, with my telekinetic abilities, I can literally work all the controls that a full flight crew would. Mm. And then she telepathically absorbs all of Dr. Corbo's knowledge of how to fly the shuttle. Ah. So she's like, mm, there's nobody else that can, there's literally no one else that can do this. And then she claims her telepathic shielding will protect her from the radiation, but everyone is aware that that is nonsense and she will die. Mm -hmm. Um, Scott is like, this can't happen. I won't let it happen. No, you can't do it. So she telepathically knocks him out and has the other X-Men drag him into the shielded room. They lock the door. um, And... C- Cyclops wakes up in the room, tries to break free. The other X Men have to restrain him as Gene flies the ship through the solar storm, and it's inc- it's really incredible. Like Clement and Byrne, the, the the writer and the artist create something really special. Like. He, when Scott wakes up, he is manic with fear and anger, blaming all the other X-Men for not stopping her. They're restraining him. He is screaming at them, please, I am begging you, let me help her. Nightcrawler and Colossus are holding him back and crying as they do it Ooh. because they know that Jean's about to die. It's so powerful. The yeah. pain that John Byrne paints on everyone's faces is incredible. Um, and the the ship crashes into the Hudson River and the all the X-Men that were in the radiation secured chamber bob out into the water mm. and they're fine. Um we get this thing of I mean, it it's heightened because the very first outing of this new X-Men team mm. Chris Kleiman and Dave Cockrum, the the creators at the time, killed off one of the X-Men immediately. Ooh, okay. A a character called Thunderbird is Mm. killed off. And that kind of said to readers, this can happen to any of the team. Like, there is a threat and jeopardy behind all of these missions. So all the X-Men survive, except for Jean. They think that she's been burnt to death, burned alive by the radiation. And then there's this explosion, and out of the water, out of the, the Hudson River... Jean in this brand new costume with a, a fiery bird emblem on her chest and flames behind her Ooh. and she rises up and she's she's hear me x-men i am no longer the woman you knew i am phoenix and that's kind of this very wild and there's there's initially in the comics the 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 climate and Byrne had two ideas and there was an ambiguity into how the phoenix was presented mm. um one of them believed that the phoenix was simply gene finally using her powers to their full extent um, but that didn't really shine through and it became uh, eventually as climate is writing it it's clear that she has been possessed by this cosmic entity called the Phoenix which is giving her vast and incredible powers mm. um, so it's not this hidden split personality yeah. thing um, later on there is a retcon employed okay. after we get to the end of the Dark Phoenix saga which is available on re-release roughly right now as we get to the end of the Dark Phoenix saga and Jean dies there's a p- long period of mourning And then the Fantastic Four discover a cocoon at the bottom of the Hudson River. And in this cocoon is Jean Grey. Hmm. And she, turns out, was never the Phoenix. The Phoenix copied her mind and replaced her and placed her in a protective cocoon to stay alive. Hmm. And so the Phoenix was apparently a different entity that went around pretending to be Jean Grey Having her experience, wanting to experience love and lust, and fear and excitement, and having all of her memories and everything, and then that's the being that died, and Jean Grey comes back to life and is like, "What the hell is the Phoenix?" I don't know what any of you are talking about. So it's a complicated mess, and then that gets (laughs) retconned as well to be something else entirely. Wow! Oh God, I hate talking about the Phoenix.
1: Yeah, don't worry. Hopefully, we only have to do it one more time. With with shut up. Yeah, as the Worthington labs open to the public, crowds of mutants lined up, line up for what they hope to be an end to their problems. Watching the people gather outside from a window, Warren's father brings his son, now a young adult, into the treatment room with Dr. Cavito Rao, who has developed the cure. The young Warren, with his wings bound, is strapped to a chair, but starts panicking when the doctors are about to administer the injection. As his panic reaches fever pitch... Warren Worthington III breaks free from his constraints and proudly unfurls his wings, knocking the doctors aside. The elder Warren tells his son that the cure will bring a better life, and it's it's, it's what they want. But the young Warren tells his father, no, it's what you want, before diving through the window and using his wings to soar and fly above the skies of San Francisco. From his isolation cell, Jimmy looks on in awe and hope at the winged mutant flying freely across the skyline. I think the Warren Warren Worthington third story is is still one of the bits I love about this film. I think it's just a, it's it's the only thing that feels c- cohesive about this film, and it's a nice little story.
0: Um, I know what you mean. I <laughs> don't think it's
1: a story. I think it's a few nice scenes. Okay, vignettes. What's the story? He's he's he brings his father shame, then he runs away. Yeah. No need for a third. A story. Act. The first two acts <laughs> no, no. <are> good. <laughs> no need for a resolution. No need for a resolution. It's a No need to <laughs>
0: confront his father. No need for anything like that. No. Oh, you know just what I mean. You know the, what I mean. The, the,
1: the, those two scenes are good. You are correct. The thread, the thread, if you will. Never those mind. Those two scenes are you, you good. Give, you give me that look of, <laughs> Will, you just What's inputted the thread? incorrect data. What's the thread? Oh, never mind. Let's just talk about him then. What can you tell us about Warren Worthington III? I'm not calling him Angel. He hasn't been called Angel in the film he No, hasn't
0: he hasn't. Him. He is better known as Angel um, yeah. or Archangel or Death. Um, wow. He's what, one what, of. What an escalation. <laughs> one of the original X Men with, with Cyclops and Marvel Girl and Beast and Iceman. Um. From a very wealthy family, um, and he's like a he's a real playboy, like mm. he, he's, he's. So his 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 dynamic is really interesting. So he's an outspoken. He chafes at at being told what to do, and mm. so that's a lot of tension in because Cyclops has, is is, in, is placed in charge. And they're like the same age, and why would he listen to this poor person? Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's 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 really in the in the in the in the 1960s, the original comics, and and really throughout, he's this carefree member of the team. Hmm. He's got money, he's got a family, he's got good looks. Um, when he has his powers and uses them, he can fly and literally looks like an angel. He's not a monstrous. He doesn't have to hide. He can by simply strapping down his wings with a leather harness. He can lead a very normal life under under suits and shirts and things. It's able to really fold his wings in. and So he he's positioned in stark contrast to, to, to Cyclops. Cyclops is a poor orphan whose powers literally threaten the lives of himself and everyone around him all the time. He has to be on a constant high alert, wear protective glasses. Um, he's written... Almost as 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 a disabled character or disabled ah. disabled coded, mm. um, in the same way that Stanley tries to do that with 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 Tony Stark in his heart condition and things mm. like that, um, and and Scott always we 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 read from his own thoughts feels a need to distance himself from people so as not to put them in danger or indeed to weigh them down by looking after him. Yeah, that's a big part of Scott's character, and so a love triangle develops between. Warren, Jean and Scott Scott loves Jean but feels worthless And doesn't think she should be With someone like him So he always rejects Spending time with her, acts as a loner Pushes her away Mm. Jean loves Scott but because of the patriarchy Of the 60s she can't speak For herself and tell him that And Mm. chase him or let him Know how she feels And since he keeps avoiding her she finds herself spending time with the only person who shows interest—the confident, carefree Warren. Um, so that's the initial '60s love triangle—the typical Stanley love triangle. He loves it, and it's very successful, and it's very good. It's, I mean, I, mean it was, I was a kid when I was reading it; it was very powerful. Well, not powerful, but
1: it really drew me in. Yeah, compelling. very
0: compelling. Well done. Yeah, yeah. We we learned it. In later stories, um, Warren never had any kind of troubled childhood like in this movie. Um, when his feathered wings began to, to to grow, he initially felt like a freak. But soon, he's like, I can fly. Um, there's a fire in his private school dormitory. So he borrows some props from the school drama department. Um, and uh, dresses up like as a heavenly angel. <laughs> Rescues his friends and 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 they report it in the in the paper. Says like we saw an angel save people. Um, he dons a later dons a mask and a costume, and he calls himself the Avenging Angel Ooh. in 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 South. Suffer- and then but then is immediately kind of s- snapped up by Professor X and brought into to the to the X Men when the X Men disbanded in the seventies, the end of the sixties. Warren goes on to be part of two other Marvel super teams, the Champions, Mm. where he's with Iceman, Ghost Rider, (laughs) the Black Widow for some reason, and also Hercules. Yeah, I remember now, Hercules. (laughs) And then that doesn't work, and he joins the Defenders, which also has Iceman and Beast on the team sometimes. Um, And then finally he reunites with all the other X-Men, to form the original X Men, to form a new team because they're not the X Men anymore, and they call themselves X Factor. Um, during the nineteen eighties, he suffers horrific permanent injuries. Um, someone betrays him while he's in a coma mm. and has his like Cameron Hodge might be the might be one of the most slimy, awful villains in the history of Marvel. Uh, pretends to be Warren's best friend, but actively hates him and spends his whole their whole partnership destroying Warren behind the scenes without Warren knowing it. Warren suffers these really bad injuries to his wings mm. and while he's in a coma, Cameron Hodge, who is his lawyer, acts against Warren's wishes and tells the doctors to amputate the wings. Ew. I saw so that wakes, coming. But he wakes geez. up with the wings gone and eventually he ends up um being corrupted and, and transformed into the cybernetic villain who called Death, who is one of the horsemen of the apocalypse mm. for Apocalypse. He's got blue skin and metallic techno-organic wings. And he then goes on to become this dark and bitter anti-hero called Archangel in the in the kind of 80s and, and 90s. It's quite fitting for the time as anti-heroes are everything. Yeah. Quite popular, very wow. popular.
1: What an arc. Mm. As the, I brought you about to say, that's a story, Will. Not two <laughs> things happening. As the Armoured Convoy continues its drive through the country, the lead car is crushed by Magneto, standing before them in the middle of the road. Using his powers, Magneto crushes the other cars and stops the mutant container, allowing Mystique to kill her guard and get free. Breaking inside, Magneto is reuni- reunited with Mystique before freeing the other two mutants in captivity. James Madrox, a.k.a. Multiple Man and Kane Marco, a.k.a. Juggernaut. Suddenly, Mystique notices one of the unconscious guards waking up and aiming a gun at Magneto. Before the dart can hit Magneto, Mystique dives in front of it, with the dart injecting her with the mutant cure. Pyro sets the guard on fire while Magneto stares in shock at a human Mystique lying naked on the floor. Mystique asks for help, but Magneto and the other mutants leave, with, with Magneto responding, I'm sorry, my dear. You're not one of us anymore. Whew. So, Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut gets worse every time I see it. It's not even comic relief. It's like a bad SNL sketch.
0: If you don't know who Vinnie Jones is, uh, he, he's always been like a name in this country in mm. the uh, '90s. From like, but before he was an actor, um, he was known as a a very dirty. Football player, yeah. Um, he he's like whole thing. Apparently, and I don't know football, but I've read up on this. He was never ever regarded as a good football player, but he was very aggressive. Yeah. Um, and he would dominate on the football pitch. And there's a very famous picture that all the newspapers ran (laughs) of uh, uh, must be a penalty, and he stood next to like the nice guy of English football, Gary Lineker. Yeah. And he's just grabbed Gary Lineker's. Testicles, yeah, and is squeezing them, and Gary Lineker is in very obvious pain. Someone snapped a photo of that; it was on all over the papers, and
1: yeah, from there
0: he eventually became like an actor that played gangster roles, and that's kind of his whole thing.
1: Yeah, he's he's a yeah, he's he's basically that. He, he, there's there's no nuance about him, and uh yeah, you can just—he's
0: pretty good in snatch. I think he's he's, he's oh, decent in snatch. Yeah, yeah. snatch
1: snatch is fine, but it's just like you, you're basically building the role around him essentially sure yeah. yeah yeah also it's such a sad moment uh magneto turning his back on mystique just because she's no longer a mutant it's just ah, uh, it's just like ha i get it but it's like how dare you at the same time
0: i <laughs> i see it a little differently i don't know i don't know if anyone else go. is on the Here same wavelength as me i think mckellen despite script and director and cross three films Mm. does a very good job in his physical performance, facial expressions and line delivery of showing us that Magneto, this version of Magneto, Mm. is entirely almost entirely self-centered. That he is a grifter and a user. That the mutant issue is entirely secondary to self-preservation and Magneto getting power and control over stuff, right? Yeah. I really think he does a wonderful job of showing shade to this character that should be sympathetic, right? Yeah. Should, the audience should, like, it's hard to present someone with Magneto's back, and I think that's what McKellen, I think he's very smart. He knew that he's got to be the villain of what is a very sympathetic character, Mm. and I think he portrays him with just enough of the classic like self-centered villain shtick
1: yeah to mark
0: magneto out as clearly the guy you want like nothing to do with um to the point where if i hadn't if i hadn't have seen a scene where he was definitely in auschwitz (laughs) when he shows that tattoo a part of me was thinking i bet he did that himself yeah (laughs) i bet that's another part of the con I bet that's another part of the grift that this guy has been working oh, for twenty years. Man, and man. so this scene to me just—it's—I it, it, don't think it's got anything to do with her not being a mutant anymore. It's because she hasn't got any more powers. She's, she's not, not useful. useful to him anymore.
1: There it is. There it is.
0: And I really think that 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 take is reinforced mm. because they write this scene at the end where she's allowed to come back and get a manner of revenge on him. Yeah and you would usually only write that if it's showing the bad guy getting their comeuppance at the hands of like the plucky wronged party or whatever but i really do if you watch or i mean it's quite it's it's a, i think it's a little more present in the first film mm. where he's really written as a stock bad guy not quite a stock bad guy but you know what you a, mean a, a, a self-centered villain i mean he just it's the twinkle in his eyes sometimes it's the way he delivers a line it's a look he gives it's wonderfully nuanced in the way he does it. Great actor. Fantastic actor.
1: At the White House, Hank McCoy argues with the President over the use of the weaponized mutant cure on the convoy after he was assured the cure would be voluntary. As far as Hank is concerned, this is a slippery slope. The President calls it an isolated incident that needed such a resolution given that one of the mutants involved has incredible destructive power. But Hank has made up his mind. And walks out to be where he belongs. I really enjoyed some of the political stuff behind the scenes here with Hank. Sure, it's, it's hard not to see Frazier wearing blue makeup, but again, he just does a good job. There's this <laughs> yeah. discussions with the president, and like, oh, this is a, you, you know, think about this, think about the repercussions. Really good stuff. Back at Xavier's lab, Logan watches over Jean. As he goes to softly brush her neck, Jean wakes up with a start, suddenly grabbing Logan's wrist. Jean smiles at Logan, assuring him that she's okay. As Logan stares in amazement at her, Jean immediately starts to flirt with the mutant. As Logan passionately embraces Jean, Logan realizes that the Phoenix has taken control of her. Backing away from her, Jean grows more aggressive. Logan asks Jean where Scott is, and suddenly her face drops, reverting back to her normal self and confused where she is. As she looks at Scott's sunglasses, she realizes that she has murdered the man she loves. In a panic. Jean's powers go out of control, causing everything in the lab to start flying around. Logan tries to calm her down, and Jean, through tears, tells Logan to kill her before she kills somebody else. But when Logan tells her that the Professor can fix what is wrong with her, the Phoenix snaps her back in control, snarling at Logan that she doesn't want to fix it, before sending the mutant flying across the room and escaping the lab. So after going through the X-Men cartoon of the Dark Phoenix storyline, it really feels like this fo- film devo- devoted barely any time into doing anything with it. It's yep. barely glanced <laughs> barely yeah. barely brushed the surface with it. So it do Gene do Jean and Wolverine ever get together in the comics cuz it always seems like this little thing dangling in front of Wolverine.
0: <laughs> they don't really know. I mean to begin with, as it's originally written, in the 70s, mm. and I think maybe the start of the 80s, it's all one-sided. Like, Gene is not interested in this this guy at all. Yeah. Like, in, in the 70s, Wolverine is written as the grumpy older man on a team full of kids in their, like, early 20s. <laughs> and he has the hots for Gene, but it's proper stalkery. Yeah. And he, he constant. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a constant thing. She's not interested, tells him that much a bunch of times. Um when Jean is discovered to be alive after the whole Phoenix Saga, that cocoon in the Hudson, um, well, there's a bit of time where well, she goes off and joins her. Other- anyway, when Wolverine first finds out that she's not dead. Because these two X Men teams don't talk to each other. X Factor and the X Men don't talk to each other. When Wolverine sees Jean Grey alive for the first time, that's when he first kisses her. He grabs her and kisses her, which is mm. completely uninvited, unasked for, and she's not into it. But Me. then I think as the 80s arrived and things, it, it became sort of, um, it developed into kind of like a mutual attraction or a, I don't quite know where the idea came from. Um, to to go back to this and to turn it into a thing. Um, They are uh, prisoners in a place called Genosha. Their mutant powers have been blocked. Wolverine is dying from his very serious injuries. Um, And Cameron Hodge, the sleaze that cut off... Angel's wings. Um, he throws them into a cell together because he genuinely he thinks it's, he knows what's all going on, and he saw the kiss at one point. So he thinks it'd be really funny if Jean cheated on Cyclops, oh. and he was able to record it. Um, and Jean is like basically she's she's looking after Wolverine as he is dying, and there's nothing she can do. No one has got any powers. She 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 knows that he cares for her, and she knows that he's dying. And Jean kisses him in a in a kind of a give him the thing he really wants right before he dies kind of way, yeah, so those two kisses uh but it but it does it it develops from there and and in more modern times they they came close to getting together. Right before her second slash, maybe first death, mm. um, but Wolverine rejects Jean and is like, "Nah, this had never worked." Red. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they've they've never they've never got together.
1: Yeah. Uh, at his lair, Magneto examines the dark gun used against him in the convoy, knowing that humans would be the first to act, than that this could be used to unite mutants against humanity. Callisto enters the room and tells Magneto That she has sensed a class 5 Mutant with a look of surprise Magneto knows that this must be Jean Grey at the lab Storm and Charles discover Jean Gone and Logan knocked out Storm awakens Logan and tells him That Jean kills Scott Whilst Charles Sorry and tells them that Jean kills Scott While Charles is angry at Logan For going against his orders he suddenly Detects where Jean is heading to so we've we've heard it again, class five mutants. Because I didn't, th- I don't think we've ever delved into the classes of mutants. Uh, and obviously, class five must be the highest. So what is uh, class five?
0: It doesn't. It's not a term used in the comics. Oh, and I don't know why mm. they changed it. In the comics, they use the term Omega class.
1: That makes more sense. Does it? Look, okay. well, it's the end. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Yeah,
0: I think Defcon Five is kind of what they're going for in this movie.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Um, it's very. It was for 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 decades. It was an ambiguous term. It was introduced in the eighties to describe like one thing, but completely unexplained. Over an omega class mutant, um, exceptional power. But there was no like firm definition was ever Mm -hmm. offered, and no firm kind of like oh this person is this person isn't. Um, and then in like it's two thousand and nineteen when Marvel did an actual, actually published. ...a definition. So here we go. Hmm. I am reading literally from something from a few years ago. Omega level mutant, a mutant whose dominant power... ...is deemed to register or reach an undefinable upper limit... Hmm. ...of that power's specific classification. The idea being there's no upper limit. Um, So it says, for example, both Magneto and Forge... ...are the most powerful mutants of their power types... ...on the planet Earth... Magneto, Magnetism, Forge, Technopathy. But what makes Magneto and not Forge an Omega-level mutant is that the upper limit of Forge's measurable powers could hypothetically be surpassed, and in fact has been, by humans. (laughs) Whereas the (laughs) upper limit of Magneto's power cannot be surpassed in any measurable fashion. So, Omega-level mutant is... uh, They don't need that bit. Uh, For example, Mm. while Jean Grey is a telepath and a telekinetic, she's only an Omega-level telepath. That's to do with Mm. if you've got two powers. Um, Examples of uh, Omega-level mutants that we've heard of, uh, Jean Grey and Magneto. Storm is considered an Omega-level mutant. I guess because really, like, Thor can probably replicate what she can do, but... That's not like a regular person. And Iceman, they gave Iceman a significant leveling up at one stage where he was able to project his consciousness into ice duplicates. Uh, And in fact, he was even able to perhaps replicate his consciousness into every like snowflake that he was able to create, thus making him some sort of... Immortal being, I don't, I don't really know. That's crazy. I think, I think the X Men comics have absolutely lost their way, but that's just me.
1: <laughs> Arriving at Jean's childhood home, Charles, Storm, and Logan are greeted by Magneto and his subordinates. Charles and Magneto head inside the house alone together, as they did twenty years ago, but with both of them working against each other this time. Inside the house, various objects appear under the influence of psychic anomalies. Charles and Magneto find Jean in the lounge. Calming Jean's powers down, Charles tells Jean to come with her. Uh, sorry, to come with him so he, so he can take care of her. But Magneto tries to attempt Jean to come with him by claiming that Charles will hold her back and imprison her. As Jean snarls at Charles to stay out of her head, she starts to lose control of her powers as the phoenix struggles for control. The doors and windows of the house slam shut, alerting Storm and Logan that Charles might need their help so is it mentioned uh where her parents are at this point in the film or not it's not it never it's never mentioned it's like oh the, she goes to her home and the, the parents aren't there and that's it yep are they dead
0: did do, do you think i have access to a, a an extra long film with, with more answers in it
1: you might you might do we <laughs> no, definitely no want to idea. see the, the the snyder cut of <laughs> Last Stand I've no idea
0: It's been 20 years Maybe they don't live there anymore Maybe it's not their house anymore I've no idea Bloody hell It's not in
1: They come back What happened to our house? (laughs) Why is it smashed? (laughs) As Charles continues uh, talking through with Jean The moment that he tells her that she killed the man she loved Jean lashes out Shattering the windows of the house And sending Magneto flying across the floor into the kitchen Taking this as a cue for action, Logan charges for the house but is tackled by Juggernaut who then throws him through a window. Storm summons a Hurricane taking out Pyro and Quill but is no match for Callisto who uses her speed against Storm. Juggernaut brawls with Logan in the dining room while Charles holds his position in front of Jean demanding to be let in. Throughout the house objects fly and water flows out the taps towards the ceiling. Charles continues to stare down Jean, with the phoenix taking control over her more and more. As the other mutants fight in the house, Magneto, still lying on the kitchen floor, looks on in horror as Jean uses her power to raise Charles from his chair before the entire house starts to rise from its foundations, sending all the other mutants towards the ceiling. As Jean starts to disintegrate Charles, Magneto yells at her to stop it. Logan, using his claws, tries to climb towards the lounge across the ceiling but he is too late. As Jean uses her his, her powers to hold everything in, how, in the house in place, Charles calmly tells Jean to not let the phoenix control her before he is blasted into atoms and the house comes crashing back down. Walking through the ruined lounge, Magneto picks up a shaken green, Jean Grey and escorts her out. Coming across the empty wheelchair of Professor Xavier, Storm and Logan break down in tears. Charles is dead this was a very uh this was a big shock moment in watching it for the first time especially as i was you know enjoying patrick stewart in this role
0: i think this is the the most horrific death scene in any marvel movie like the Mm. the sheer the fact that he turns to look at wolverine with this smile on his face before he's Butchered is horrible. It's what do you really... think that smile
1: was about? Like confidence that he, he's, he's got it handled, even though he really hasn't, or what? I just think it's a very unsettling thing to show the
0: audience, is what I yeah. think it is. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. It's not, he's not saying he's, it's not, it's not a look of peaceful calm. It's this, it's a disturbing smile. And I, I've never I mean I guess you uh, to me I know you said oh it's fine he just gets turned to atoms or whatever mm. what he get he explodes into red stuff mm. it, to me that is gore he is he is ripped apart is it's, that I didn't see any red stuff
1: it just looked like white pale stuff I didn't see any red I
0: watched it on Disney Plus last night mm.
1: okay red stuff then, yeah that's fairly yeah. and
0: like it's not like bits of body or whatever but mm. the the things that she is turning him into or ripping him apart into hmm. it's just even if even if it was why i don't know it's so disturbing she uses her mind to rip him apart hmm. and he's got this dumb weird grin on his face it's 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 um hmm. it's the whole scene is 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 obviously trying to do like a exorcism kind of carry thing yeah um and they're really pushing that button it's just um i remember after those two scenes mm. in the cinema, feeling a little disconcert not disconcerted, I feel, I felt, I don't know, I felt something. I felt like uncomfortable. I felt like, yeah. I, I don't, this is, there's two, and it could be because like, they just haven't given us anything to explain what's going on with Jean. And so yeah. we just, we just keep getting these, these quite intense scenes where she murders people she loves. She's, she's bad
1: I, now and unstable basically, is, is what. She,
0: it's, but just I mean, yeah. just literally she's murdering people she loves in these ways that are quite visceral and horrible. Mm. Like seeing Scott scream as his wife is just like killing him mm. is is horrible, and this scene was horrible. It was it was so when when these Fox executives talk about the Dark Phoenix saga is gonna to be too dark. You did it anyway. You <laughs> <laughs> gave us horrible dark scenes.
1: Yeah. Also, it's at nearly an hour into the film. And Wolverine's only just started fighting
0: Yeah big mistake Always start
1: with a cage fight and then move on to the rest of the movie Exactly So is the phoenix this powerful in the comics She she can kill someone like Professor Xavier right She's beyond
0: anything We see in this movie (laughs)
1: Um,
0: She has uh, Yeah so she has total telekinetic Control of matter At a molecular (laughs) level she can alter atomic structures will oh uh, yeah that's that's beyond powerful in the dark phoenix saga i mean she can do all these kinds of things she can she can manifest energy seemingly from nowhere hmm. a seemingly unending supply of energy that can seemingly do virtually anything, not virtually anything but can burn it can burn in space where there's no like this fire and this energy she can conjure is hmm. she can teleport through to to the other side of the galaxy um yeah it's 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 wild uh, in the dark phoenix saga she devours the energy of a nearby star to see what it would feel like this causes the star to go supernova which decimates a, a, an entire planet yeah yikes um, uh, an intergalactic a, a, a council of intergalactic kind of like delegates—the Cree, the Scroll, mm. the, the Shi'ar—they all meet to discuss the Dark Phoenix and conclude that she is a more serious threat than Galactus. <laughs> oh boy! So yeah, yeah, um, indeed, she's she's a she's a an exceptionally dangerous. Planet-consuming, star-consuming—sorry, planet-destroying beast, Xavier. He in the Dark Phoenix saga, he does during a—he has a, a vicious psychic duel with her. He manages to place some—he calls them psychic circuit breakers—in her mind, mm. which kind of reduce her her power and and, but they don't last. She burns through them, um, and she could. The only thing stopping her from killing. All the X-Men is at the fleeting shred of her humanity. It's only fitting in this show about finding the cure.
1: (laughs) In this show
0: about trying to transform yourself from a hideous, disgusting freak into a decent member of society. It's only fitting that we talk about the way you out there can transform yourself right now. You're a hideous, disgusting freak You're listening to this podcast without giving anything back You're a leech Just like leech <laughs> uh, But we've got The Cure The Cure is patreon.com slash Marvel. That's where you can transform yourself into a decent human being by supporting this podcast by giving back to the community making sure we stay on the air Um, And in exchange for that, to say thank you, you get access to all sorts of incredible bonus episodes. Like our big bonus deep dives that we release every month for those people at the £10 tier. Um, This year, Will, Mm. I have to say, best year ever. Yes. Just just listen to what we've put out in terms of our bonus deep dives this year. The Kang Dynasty. One of your faves. You admire, mm. I mean, that, that, even the ending of that with Kang and his son and everything, incredible. Yeah. Maximum Carnage, which was a wild, wild trip. Um, Wakanda Doom War with Doctor Doom versus the Black Panther. Amalgam Comics, um, where the universe of the DC comics and the Marvel universe combine to form a brand new universe with brand new characters. Um, That was incredible We've got a live show Where you've got the video and the audio of that up there Um, War of Kings uh, Which was kind of like One of the biggest wars Biggest cosmic wars The Guardians of the Galaxy are stuck right in the middle Uh, The X-Men are involved That was mega Spider-Geddon, the sequel to the Spider-Verse saga The full secret invasion all the, I mean, that was a really great one. I think that was one of my favourites this year. Mm. The, the, the lies, the deception, the spying, <laughs> the double agents, um, Infinity Gauntlet. I know is your favourite from this year. Mm. Um, that was a mega episode. And just last month, we did the Ultimates. Um, our look at the dark and edgy reboot of the Avengers from the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Do you think this is our best year yet, Will?
1: I think it is. I mean, we always uh, improve year on year. We give we, we go further year on year, but yeah, definitely.
0: I'm glad we've been able to save certain things, like saving Infinity Gauntlet for the right moment mm. was really good. Saving in saving Secret Invasion for the right moment <laughs> we felt like a really good thing so we can drop them at the right time. And these bonus deep dives, you know, we do uh, look at lots of movies and TV shows and things, but there are some stories that are too big. We can't talk about the Secret Invasion in full when we were looking at that tv show we couldn't talk about infinity gauntlet in full when we were talking about the infinity war they were just too big and some of these things the kang dynasty you don't want to wait for three four years for that movie you can listen to the whole adventure now some might never ever get turned into anything like amalgam comics they can't even republish that anymore War of Kings is probably never going to get made. The Spider-Geddon is probably never going to get made. Um, Wakanda Doom War, probably never going to get made. We get to do deep dives into some of the best Marvel stories on that £10 tier, that, that VIEP tier. This month is no exception to how good it's going to be. In a fitting tale for Spooktober, packed with magic, demons, and ghosts. It is called Damnation. Mephisto literally creates hell on Earth. Ooh in the destroyed remnants of Las Vegas see secret invasion for what happened there <laughs> and it's up to Dr Strange and Ghost Rider and the Midnight Sons to uh save the lost souls of Las Vegas and stop Mephisto um that's going to be our big deep dive bonus episode for Spooktober and we've also got some mini episode fun to be had out there as well. If you're just donating to us three pounds a month, we thank you sincerely. And in exchange, you can listen to all our cool mini episodes. And that includes obscure Marvel that we put out each and every month where me and will have a right old time Mm. digging into the most ridiculous and obscure moments and characters in the history of the Marvel universe. This month, Will Preston got to meet a villain that he should really like. (laughs) the white rabbit who as we said was essentially a batman villain in the marvel universe which is very peculiar
1: oh yeah very peculiar i mean there was there was a a a carrot gun
0: there was an umbrella that fired razor sharp carrots at people yeah and the white rabbit was opposed (laughs) by the startling new hero frogman (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: um, each and every month we we put out A fun episode of Obscure Marvel Each and every month we put out a Bonus deep dive episode You can also at the other tier get access uh, to Early access I should say To every main show episode We do it's all available for People that support us Patreon.com slash Marvel Versus Marvel Keep the show going support the community On Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel
1: back to the show. At the X-Mansion, a funeral for Professor Charles Xavier is held in the gardens with various mutants in attendance. Inside the school, the students are in mourning for their old teacher. That night, Bobby Drake visits Kitty Pride, both unable to fathom what has happened. As well as this, Kitty misses home, especially when it snows. Coming up with an idea... Bobby leads Kitty out to the garden fountain and uses his freezing powers to turn the fountain into an ice rink and create skis for them both. As the two share a romantic moment together, a frustrated rogue watches on from a window. The next day...
0: I gotta say, I know it's meant to be innocent, but there is not a girlfriend alive that would see you take another girl out ice skating under the moonlight and be oh that's cool they're just friends that nope. would there's no one that's going to be okay with that and i know he's young but bobby just needs to
1: get his head in the game uh, it, it has some Disney level romantic stuff. That is all. all, all, all that's missing Imagine. is a shooting shooting star going across the sky as they kiss or something. You
0: come over to your missus and say I've just been taking this young lass ice skating and we had a lovely time. The yeah, moonlight not happening. The moonlight bounced off her lovely hair. She looked wonderful. Yeah. What have you been up to? The washing. All right.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not going to happen. The next day, Rogue heads out with her bags. Logan offers a lift, and Rogue reveals that she is going to get the cure, as the thought of a life without human contact is unbearable. Seeing her point, Logan bids her goodbye as she goes to leave mutant kind for good. Sad departure for Rogue, but I kind of feel good for her. I kind of feel like hopeful for her because it's what she wants
0: yeah maybe again it's the, i don't know what they're trying to tell me about this yeah
1: it's it's hard um, because they're like hey it's just like the conversion therapy and it's like yeah it's
0: different I know. it's peculiar it's 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 it, and i don't know what her what's her arc in this movie
1: uh her boyfriend is is, is having a wonderful platonic time with another Her arc
0: is she wants to be human. She becomes human. That's the arc.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like it's just weird. They've really underused Rogue. I feel. I feel it's just. Oh, it's frustrating. She just feels yeah. like a
0: uh... forgotten. They throw so many new car- Throw many more characters <laughs> into this. They just like Pyro, completely forgotten. They, Iceman completely, virtually completely forgotten.
1: I just don't think they know what to do with Rogue. I mean, they had her as like, oh yeah, this is kind of her origin story. Oh, can she fly and do all that stuff that happened after you absorbed the power of Miss Marvel? No, of Captain Marvel or what you know. Yeah, yeah. Because Miss Marvel's not in it.
0: Yeah, and they could have re- just changed it so she could do all that stuff. They would have been nice. Then that character is strong and can fly,
1: and they they want and sassy they want more. Yeah, there's none of that. Mm. Oh well. In a forest, Magneto's brotherhood of mutants Set up <laughs> Sorry, camp I don't yeah. know
0: why that, In a forest yeah, I don't know why that amused me, but it did
1: In a forest, in the woods As Magneto pra- Praises Jean and reminisces about Charles he, sh- he hands her the dart gun Which she deconstructs with her mind However, the phoenix starts to take over And Jean's powers start to move The cure darts towards Magneto Panicking, he yells at Jean to stop Coming to, to some control, Jean relents but tells Magneto, You sound just like him. But Magneto ensures Jean that he just wants Jean to be who she is, a proud mutant, and that is something they need to fight for soon. As he wanders through the crowd of his followers, Pyro and Callisto voice doubt over Jean coming with them, but Magneto assures them everything is fine. The next moment, however, Pyro arrogantly quips that he would have killed Charles himself if it was needed. Stopping in his tracks, Magneto sternly faces off against Pyro and tells him that Charles has done more for mutants than he'll ever know. It's yeah. that that again. It was like this moment
0: of this to me. This grifter, yeah, is like just for a brief moment because this guy, friend or enemy, person he's known for the longest has died. This grifter is like, oh god, I've got these people thinking I'm the mutant. That they think i'm the mutant savior guy it was the guy who just died and i just ever
1: so briefly feel a little it's that little pang that i like it's like yeah yeah like there's still something in there's still some decency within him you know
0: it's why I, i really wish the magneto i know it wouldn't have worked as a lead character but i wish the young magneto we got in the what's the other movies was much more of this like Del boy, <laughs> Del boy, grifter, <laughs> conning Charles every step of the way. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, we will look after the mutants. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Put a little that yeah. in my pockets. Uh,
1: of course, I got licences for the darts, mate. Of course, I oh, have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that this camp in the woods, it feels like the exact opposite of Asteroid M. <laughs> like, like they couldn't afford somewhere like a like a base of Magneto. It's like, ah, oh, we're camping in the woods. I guess so, but it also,
0: to me, feels a bit more like an army is being raised. Yeah, okay, there is like, that. Like, you know, if you think about, like, the, the Braveheart kind of movies where, mm. or, you know, or even Game of Thrones, the armies, rather, you know, they, they camp out in this area and they're getting ready for the battle and stuff. It felt mm. a little bit like that to me.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Just, uh, if you're going to be wearing, like, some kind of, like, velour... Purple rope, purple cape, like Magneto does. It's gonna be hell walking in the forest like that without you keeping it, is, it clean.
0: Yeah, as all larpers know.
1: As all larpers know, we know you are out there listening to the pod. Hopefully, listen to the podcast. So, the bit where Jean points the darts at Magneto was going to be different in the original cut. Apparently, uh, in the original version, the gun is instead just a, a, a metallic cup that Magneto briefly levitates before Phoenix disintegrates the cup into atoms and causes them to have an explosive fission reaction. She then takes this energy and briefly uses it against the surrounding Brotherhood mutants who cry out in pain as it begins disintegrating them. Magneto commands her to stop the show of power, truly afraid of what Charles's killer is capable of. That's
0: mad. I mean, but that's yeah. also showing much more personality for Jean than she gets it like that would show oh she's really she's not overwhelmed by anything she's enjoying this
1: yeah but
0: they obviously she's just i don't know she just sits around and doesn't do anything
1: really yeah she just looks like oh i'm dangerous but i'm also a bit mopey so when Jean uh, becomes dark phoenix uh in the comics does she join with magneto or just is she on her, her own own path would you say
0: doesn't, no, Magneto is nowhere to be seen. Um, I'm trying to think in the time scale. He's, is he dead or missing? Is he a baby? He mm. might be a Or is he back from being a baby? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, I
1: remember he was a baby
0: at one He's point. He's briefly a baby. Um, no, she doesn't have anything to do with Magneto. Um, Clement uses Magneto quite sparingly during his mm. run. Yeah. Um, and he's the one who orchestrates... He's the one that creates the Auschwitz backstory for him, the the, the concentration camp backstory for him, the, the Jewish heritage. He's the one that starts Magneto on this path of redemption. Um, no, she's corrupted by a, 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 a psychic illusionist called Mastermind. Mm. Um, and she ends up joining the Hellfire Club uh, as he's manipulated her into believing that she is the reincarnation of his long lost love and and she just gets addicted to kind of the the cruelty and the arousal and the the the, all the kind of negative emotions um and then she goes rogue and tries to murder all the x-men on her own so no no magneto connection
1: that's fair enough back at the mansion hank logan and storm have a meeting with kitty and bobby over the future of the school Without Charles, the school might have to close down, sending the students out back into the world again. The next moment, Warren Worthington III enters, saying that he heard that the mansion is a safe space for mutants. Taking charge, Storm takes Warren in and tells the others the school will continue. Afterwards, Bobby goes looking for Rogue, but finds her room empty. So, (laughs) fun question. Uh, 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 and I want you to be honest How, Where does it's, the school get its funding from Because they've got a, uh, uh, <laughs> they, What are they? they they got like An underground jet hangar All this stuff a hat, hologram danger room and whatnot. And it's a nice building in general Where do they get the money from Rob uh, I want to see the records in... Rob I want an audit
0: <laughs> It's all Nepo babies In the beginning mm-hmm. uh, The school and the team is a lot less fancy Okay. Charles Xavier is a rich young man. His his father is a famed nuclear scientist that made a lot of money. Xavier has inherited his father's fortune and his mansion. Um, he merely adapts the mansion into a school for five teenagers to live in. That's it. That's all he has to do. <laughs> and building the original Danger Room, like, it would have cost a bit of money, mm. but it was just f- a few flamethrowers... A couple of rocket launchers and a wall it with spikes on it that sometimes fell over. Yeah. Um, the 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 more outlandish sci fi tech that they get later on is either being invented by Hank Matoi, McCoy, McCoy, or it's donated to them by the the Shi'ar Empire because Xavier goes up there and shags the lander, doesn't he? Because hey, he's a right lad, he's a proper lad, and so they have this alien tech. Uh, that includes all the mm. hologram tech and all that kind of stuff from there. Um, which, of course, is not not a thing in the movies. <laughs> Warren Worthington III is also a dedicated pupil and a believer in Xavier's cause. And he's funded various aspects of the school over the years. He's bought a few of the blackbirds over the years. Um, and at one stage, he handed over the entire Worthington Foundation and all of its funds to the Xavier School. Wow. Just said. Uh, There you go. You handle all that. So, yeah, that's kind of... There's a bit where Logan opens his own version of the school. Mm. The Jean Grey School for Gifted Youngsters. And they were severely strapped for cash and struggling. Um, And then Wolverine discovers... So the new school is built onto... Do you remember Krakoa?
1: You don't ring the bell.
0: Krakoa, the the the
1: Living Island, the Living Island. That was
0: swallowed the original X Men at one point. Hmm. They discover that that is like a mutant in its own right, as Hmm. the plant life and the swamp land have all mutated together and formed a single consciousness. Well, is it? I think Krakoa has a the original Krakoa or its child or whatever becomes a sentient plot of land that Wolverine's school is built on. Mm. And it, can, it comes to life and it does stuff They eventually discover that it's capable of Spontaneously growing diamonds <laughs> <laughs> So that helps pay the bills for Logan
1: That's fair enough uh, How convenient mm. While standing by Charles's grave Logan hears Jean contacting him Through her mind Packing his bags to find Jean Logan is stopped by Storm Who warns him not to pursue a mutant that powerful But Logan goes ahead With his plans and rides out Outside a mutant cure centre, Bobby bumps into Pyro amongst the anti-cure protest. Pyro goads Iceman into a fight, but Bobby walks away the bigger man. After taunting Bobby, Pyro launches a jet of flame at the building, causing chaos and panic. Later, a recording of Magneto plays on the news, stating that as long as the cure exists, a war between mutants and humans will rage. Watching this from the White House, the president orders Trask, the head of the Department of uh, Homeland Security, to find Magneto and arm troops with cure weapons immediately. So we've got Bill Dukes from Predator playing Trask here. but We not- do indeed. Bill Dukes uh, in Predator shaving his already smooth face as a tick. Great, great little bit that mm. in Predator. No idea if it's Bolivar Trask he's playing, though. I don't know if it is. I think that's just a little nod. So speaking of which, I know we've encountered it before, but could you remind us who Trask is?
0: Trasks are the people that invent the uh the Sentinels, basically. Hmm. Um way back in the sixties, Bolivar Trask, which is a wonderful name. Excellent. It's name. like I love Oliver, that name. But with a b in front of it. <laughs> Bolivar. Um yes, he's a he's a he's like He's equally described as a military scientist and an anthropologist. Hmm. Uh, basically, he just hates mutants. He believes that they are <laughs> a threat to humanity. So he builds sentinels to, guard, the, the, to be the guardians and protectors of humanity.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but like Davros in the, the, the Genesis of the Daleks, once he's created his things to destroy people, yeah. shock horror, they destroy him.
1: Um, yeah. and they
0: kill him he, or he sacrifices himself at the end anyway he dies at the hands of his own creation hmm. uh, but Trask Industries lives on through his son and then later his nephew and that Trask stuff
1: Trask people keep building sentinels to kill everyone he really is trash uh, tra- no, to- oh, I can't do it I can't make a trash pun about it. no him. no because no. he's Trask he's Trask he really <laughs> is Trask nope still doesn't trask. work no, I, 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 thanks for trying. Thanks for yeah, rec- trying you know, to rec- recover me. I'll send you the bill. <laughs> as Cure Crypt troops are stationed at Alcatraz and outside Cure centers, Rogue joins a queue, anticipating life as a normal human. Meanwhile, in the forest. <laughs> Logan senses <laughs> the forest. I don't, <laughs> don't know why that makes. Don't know up. which one, just the Meanwhile, forest. in the forest, you'll you'll know which forest we all mean. Sent, Logan senses mutants nearby. Before he can continue his hunt for Jean Grey, he's ambushed by a spike-throwing mutant who pursues him through the trees. Thus, the noise alerts another couple of mutants with sonic hearing who move out to track Logan. Hiding in cover, Logan uses one of the spikes against its maker and takes him down before getting away. Hiding in the trees, Logan ambushes a camp of mutants with little effort. Logan takes down each one with great ferocity before facing against the spike thrower again. Both mutants charge at each other, impaling the other with their sharp implements. But Logan, in great pain and with his healing ability, rises up the victor. So I know we talked about how gruesome it was with Professor X but this one—the what the spike tusk things—really. You didn't really make like me uncomfortable. Yeah, they look painful. They look really painful. Like I, it, I'm okay with Wolverine slashing and Quill growing spikes, but those tusk spikes just look grisly. There's a uh, an
0: X Men character called Marrow oh, who grows extra like bone spines out of oh. her own body that grow through her skin, and she breaks them off and uses them as as stabby weapons.
1: Amazing but horrible. Yeah. Very very yeah. Yeah, David Cronenberg. So, uh, does Rogue ever try to find a cure for mutant powers in the original stories? So, I mean, sort of. Um, sort of.
0: Yeah, sort of. In in it, around the two thousand and nine uh, period of time, it's slowly revealed that Rogue's. It's not like so. Her inability to control her absorption power is the problem. Yeah. Um. And they discover that that's purely psychological. Her mm. power is not that she can't control. It's it's like Cyclops being able to control his optic blasts. She's never been able to control it, and it's the reason she can't is it, it's it's the result of like a psychological trauma of the first time that her power is manifested, mm. and she put her childhood sweetheart into a coma. Mm. So she's developed this mental block. About ever being able to you know this fear and 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 stuff being able to use that power um and it it was suggested that this was something that mystique her sort of mother had known about for decades. And when the traumatized little rogue girl came into her care, Mystique manipulated rogue and gaslit her into believing she was forever cursed as a way of controlling her.
1: Oh,
0: God. But there are periods of time when other beings have possessed rogue that they were able to control the ability to absorb, to touch people and not absorb them. Mm. So it is all in her brain. So xavier finds a way to remove those kind of psychological blocks and and so rogue she doesn't lose her powers but she's able to fully control it so she can touch someone without hurting them Hmm. or without draining them okay and not only that but because she's able to fully control that ability her power is greatly increased if she chooses to, she can instantly kill you with a touch <laughs> um, Instantly drain your life and or, or instantly put you in a coma maybe. No, I think it is kill mm. um, And she can also, uh, with, with full control of her powers She can absorb multiple powers at the same time from multiple different people Damn um, And in one instance she's able to absorb the entire X-Men of all their abilities And become like a one-person X-Men
1: team Oh, God Infiltrating the main camp Oh, no, wait a minute Oh, I thought I was doing the previous bit again Infiltrating the main camp Logan sneaks amongst a large audience Listening to Magneto, rallying them together Jean stands by Magneto's side But suddenly, she and Logan make eye contact Sneaking away Jean bumps into Logan away from the camp But Logan is suddenly slammed against a tree by Magneto Who could sense him from a mile away Logan tells Magneto That Jean is too powerful And that he's not leaving without her But Magneto disagrees and launches Logan across the forest. Meanwhile, in the President's war room, the US government has managed to find the location of Magneto's camp thanks to Mystique, seeking revenge for her abandonment. The President looks on confidently at an infrared screen showing over a 100 mutants converging in the forest, slowly surrounded by special forces units. As the troops move in with cure weapons, the soldiers are given the order to apprehend the mutant camp, However, as soon as they move in, the infrared signatures of the mutants start rapidly disappearing one by one until only one is left standing. It was multiple man all along. US intelligence has been tricked. This is actually a nice little cool trick. And I want to say it's nice to see them not overuse this character, but they barely used him. (laughs) I know, yeah. Yeah. So there'd be mentions in the letters about uh, not using multiple man and uh, him being a bit underused beyond whatever what can you tell us about uh, is it james madrox
0: madrox the Mad- multiple man
1: oh that's cool see if you said yeah. if they said that the, this is madrox the multiple man i'd be like yeah i'm on board
0: yeah um he fir- he first appears in the fantastic four uh-huh.
1: um, ah there's some more crossover it's always the fantastic four stuff crossing over isn't
0: it <laughs> yeah back in 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 the mid 70s mm. he has the power to duplicate him with with a kinetic impact mm. so he claps his own hand or someone claps him on the back, two of him will appear. Creator Len Wein, who also co-created Wolverine, um, had originally intended to call him Xerox, like the
1: photocopying machine. (laughs) But Roy Thomas and the guys
0: at Marvel kind of said, no, we'll get sued.
1: Oh, that's awful. That is so bad. So
0: when when, when Jamie was born, Mm. the doctor does that classic thing, you hold up the baby by the ankle and slap him on the bum or the back to get him to breathe. Yep. As soon as they slapped him, two identical <laughs> babies emerged. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god, the twins clipped
0: together. Um, the other the uh, the duplicate will, is later then absorbed back into Jamie's body.
1: As some twins do in works. the womb. <laughs>
0: um, so uh, Xavier is a friend of the Madrox family. Mm. So he was like uh, raise the boy in secret and in privacy away from other humans. Go to Kansas, buy a farm. And so Madrox's father, who's a scientist, does all that and creates a suit, a special suit for, for Madrox to wear that is designed to help absorb kinetic energy so that he doesn't always generate a duplicate when he, like, sits in a chair or <laughs> does anything like that, bumps into somebody. yeah. But when he's 15 years old, his parents all... His parents die in a tornado that comes through to Kansas. And mm. he ends up running the farm on his own with his duplicates. <laughs>
1: or, That's amazing. Or
0: dupes, as he calls them. And mm. then his suit gets damaged. And so he he travels all the way to Manhattan to get a bit of help. And he encounters a fantastic fall. They have a brief little skirmish. And then mm. he um, he gets sent off to um, Muir Island, where Moira McTarget takes him in. Uh, and he works in her laboratory... Laboratory I said for some reason Her Mm -hmm. laboratory Um, And he's a supporting character for many many years Background act And then in the 90s Marvel like we want more X-Men comics, more X-Men teams We're going to retool And recreate Mm X-Factor They're going to be a government Sponsored team Run by like a branch of Homeland Security The book kind of operates A little bit like the X-Files Which is hugely popular at the time in that, there's kind of the political intrigue from um, the government is shady and corrupt a little bit, and who is working against them, and real lots of the of the fun engaging X file stuff. Mm. They task a writer called Peter David, who um, was wonderful on the Incredible Hulk in the '90s as well, and he did Aquaman stuff, and he said, and, and to put this team together, and they basically. Peter David said he did not want Madrox in in the team in the book But he was kind of forced to mm. um, And it was only over the course of writing the series That he became one of Peter David's favourite characters And over the course of his time writing the character Peter David does some really interesting things with the duplicate powers um, Madrox becomes a really good spy Mm. sort of what he can do is (laughs) send multiple duplicates out into the world to learn things and follow people and then when he absorbs them back in he gains all the new information they learned while they were away from him oh nice Um, so that's a fun dynamic Um, he learns he has this real crisis of faith and existentialism when he realizes one of his duplicates dies in battle and he can't absorb the dead duplicate Ooh which causes him to have this moment of like if his duplicates die real deaths when they die then that really makes them a real person mm-hmm. and he'd never considered that before he he starts to believe that each of his duplicates possesses a soul when that's distinct from his when they're outside of him and that's the barometer if you live and then die you're a person right Mm. that's so if he so that becomes a real thing in his head becomes quite religious um he discovers that one of his duplicates didn't reabsorb into him and has a separate personality to him and starts to work for mr sinister because they see things differently (laughs) peter david would then he would continue to use the character as mm. as a real focus he he launched a series called X-Factor Investigations where mm. Madrox opens up like a mutant PI detective agency to investigate mutant problems and a bunch of other stuff like um at one point he there's two of him in around one of him and one of his duplicates and the original Madrox gets back together with his ex-girlfriend and then other Madrox goes off and starts a new relationship with someone else he fancies. And then he absorbs the duplicate and suddenly has feelings for two women at the same time.
1: Oh, no.
0: He fathers a child, and then when he goes to hold the baby, he accidentally absorbs the baby. No! And discovers that, oh, it wasn't me that fathered the child, it was one of my duplicates that that had sex with my girlfriend and fathered it. And... I guess a baby, a duplicate baby, is still a duplicate, and that ends his relationship with the woman. Like loads of interesting stuff with that one power. So yeah, Madrox is a very interesting, worthwhile character. Check out X Factor by Peter David and X Factor Investigations. That's all fun stuff.
1: That is absolutely mad. I love it. Arriving on the edge of San Francisco Bay with Alcatraz in sight. Magneto and his followers prepare their plan to storm the facility and kill Jimmy to prevent production of the cure. When Jimmy. asked how they how they reach the island, sorry,
0: I don't know why. Kill Jimmy tickled me as well. I kill. think I'm overtired or something. I'm just no, no, no when I was amused it, by
1: anything. Kill when, Jimmy. When I was writing it, it's like Jimmy doesn't sound like a doesn't does it? It no. doesn't sound like a name of a person you kill. When asked how they they re- reach the island, Magneto tells them to leave it to him. Back at the mansion. Logan barges in telling Storm and Hank that Jean Grey is with Magneto on their way to attack Alcatraz. Their conversation is overheard by Warren who sneaks away. Downstairs in the lab, Logan, Hank, Storm, Iceman, Kitty Pride, and Colossus suit up before flying off to San Francisco in the Blackbird. The students are about to go on their first mission. So, do the X-Men costumes in this movie look like the costumes in the comic books?
0: A little bit, but but only because the comics changed to re- to reflect mm. the movies. I've sent you a, a kind of an image on on uh, messing with the composition of, of yeah. things. So originally in the sixties, the teens wear yellow and blue boiler suits that, that you've <laughs> expressed a dislike for in the past. They're very <laughs> odd, aren't they? Um, they're all the same. They're similar to the Fantastic Four's uniform, where mm. everyone wears the same outfit roughly. Um, they got the pirate then, boots. They got the pirate, the pirate boots. From. Pirate boots, and then um, you can see that uh, the, the next one after that, like the, they got each got a distinctive, brightly coloured costume. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so they are part of a team, but they don't wear the same uniform things. Marvel Girl's design there is probably the most iconic out of that. Um, she wears this green mini dress mm. with this mask. Can you see the mask? It's yeah. got that yellow. I love that mask. I don't know what it's doing. It's just awesome. Um, <laughs> and Cyclops is wearing kind of the very very dark blue, all-in-one kind of outfit for the mm. first time. Um, and that lasts I- I- through. Um, even when Wolverine, Colossus, and Storm become the new X-Men team in the 70s, they've mm. all got each individual, brightly colored, real superhero costumes. Yeah. And then, can you see, the one after that, 1989, the blue and yellow colour scheme returns, but Jim Lee is drawing it, Mm. and it's just awesome. It's a real uniform with a red and black X belt. That looks so cool. So much cooler than the original 60s, like, boiler suit ones. And then in 1991, Jim Lee redesigns the entire cast of the X-Men, giving them each their own kind of new, distinctive, brightly coloured costume again. And this is the design that is used by the popular 90s cartoon. Um, And so then it's in the the, the action figures, the merchandise, the video games. That's the, you know, the the classic design of everybody is from Jim Mm. Lee's redesign then. Um, uh, And then the first expert movie comes out and starts the trend in superhero movies of dull, boring military (laughs)
1: leather.
0: Everything's going to be military based. Everything's going to be black leather gone of the bright costumes so you can see there's a, 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 a very interesting art style after that it's, it's a guy called frank quietly mm. who relaunched um an x-men comic with grant morrison and um that was the same the same year or the year after yeah it was a year after the x-men movie came out
1: yeah
0: and frank quietly redesigns the x-men to start wearing a lot of black leather jackets and
1: trousers mm. a bit
0: similar to the movies, albeit with a generous Splash of, of bright yellow
1: Yeah, yeah. They, there's a lot of yellow there For a lot of black leather And these
0: costumes are, are very much in, in this movie, sorry, are very much in that Vein,
1: mm. there's a
0: couple of little like Yellow piping uh, Around maybe a little X symbol Here and there um, Although by the time this movie comes out Joss Whedon's astonishing X-Men Which they've, they've taken a story from mm. Has really reversed the 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 black leather trend in the X-Men. Artist John Cassidy comes up with very modern takes on the the, the character's classic individual Mm. costume look. Um, But, yeah, but they are very clearly... I mean, it's meant to be superhero costumes. They even turn it into a moment in the comics. Cyclops, like Wolverine says, Oh, God here come the costumes um, or the spandex or something and cyclops says like look the world really hates and fears us we can't go around looking like a bunch of like mercenaries or dangerous thugs in black leather
1: absolutely we need
0: to reassure the public we need to look like the avengers and the fantastic four Mm -hmm. we need colorful costumes again so say hey the superheroes are here and that's kind of the explanation for why the costumes are back
1: that, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. That's, that's a nice little joke. Any
0: idea what your kind of favourite from that look is?
1: Um, those looks over the years? Let me just get it. Sorry, I closed it. I, uh, I'm, I'm stuck between the two Jim Lee ones.
0: Yeah, I, well, that's because Jim Lee's an incredibly gorgeous to look at artist.
1: Yeah, this is, this is incredible stuff. Because, you know, you get, like, comic book art, and then you get, like, ah, we've got a nice, like, Something for an a, a highly detailed animated series. He looks like he's put a lot of effort into it. I can't <laughs> decide between the two. They're too, they're both they're both my That's favorite. Good. The,
0: the yeah. nod usually goes to like the one that inspired the cartoon series because it's just so nineties and there's kind of like a neon element oh, to it. And-
1: Yet, yeah, but I like the way they've managed to go. They're all they are all wearing the same thing, but. It works. It yeah. actually works yeah. really well. Everyone's got their own little personality with it. I love it.
0: Chris Claremont, he, he, his his writing was so like dense in the 80s and 90s. He was known for, because he, he it's called what Purple Prose it's, Some people mm. might call it overwriting. He just writes and writes and writes. Mm. Descriptions and dialogue. And what he would do is he'd just actively have Marvel get the best, art, the artist that drew the most gorgeous-looking Pages of characters standing around so that it looks gorgeous when all his scripts are are people talking in rooms to each other because like if, if that's all it's going to be, get Jim Lee in get Mark Silvestri in and draw gorgeous people for me to have say these very long things
1: any any what well, reminds me if any scene without dialogue was yeah short short uh, shortlisted for slow motion any scene with dialogue shortlisted for jim Lee. <laughs> On the Golden Gate Bridge, traffic. Oh, no, I know. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a bit weary at the moment. <laughs> on the Golden Gate Bridge, traffic is is brought to a sudden standstill as the bridge starts to shake. Pedestrians get out of their cars and evacuate the bridge as Magneto parts the road of cars, followed by his Brotherhood of Mutants with his followers on the bridge. Magneto flexes his power to raise the Golden Gate Bridge from its foundations, floating it in the air across to Alcatraz Island. With the bridge positioned, Magneto drops it, providing a direct path from San Francisco to Alcatraz Island. The Golden Gate Bridge moving was probably the main thing I remember about this film. this you know, the thing that sticks out the most. So, well really, for me, it
0: was it was it was Patrick Stewart's death and mm. Cyclops's death. Yeah, but I, I kind of forgot they did the the bridge. Like it was only when I saw one of the um, DVD covers, I think I've seen mm-hmm. online that has them on the
1: Golden Gate Bridge, and I went,
0: "Oh yeah, there is something with the bridge."
1: Yeah. But it's not the, the big best set piece. It's not the best uh, set piece I've ever seen in a film, The Golden Gate Bridge. That has to go to uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. Or Rise mm. of the... Whichever the one, the first one of the new trilogy, because it was just brilliant, that bit. Anyway. Night, night arrives by the time the mutants reach, reach the end of the bridge to their destination. Magneto sends in the first wave of his mutants after the after the building, but the troops are able to take them down quickly with their cure weapons. Magneto notices that their weapons are made of plastic and can't be manipulated by his powers. After the first wave of mutants are neutralised, the troops get into position to fire upon Magneto and the rest of the Brotherhood. The troops unleash a barrage of cure needles at the mutants, but Magneto creates a metal shield from debris that blocks all the darts. Before the soldiers can attack again, Magneto orders Arclight to generate a shockwave that shatters all the plastic weaponry. Above Alcatraz, the blue bird—sorry, the blackbird—circles the chaos below. While from his war room, the president looks on helplessly as reinforcements won't arrive in time. I've started playing chess recently uh, on an app because I wanted to sort of learn, you know, how to play it properly and stuff. Because you know, and I find it engaging. But every time I start a game, I always hear Magneto in my head going, "That's why the pawns always move first. <laughs> I always hear that in my head while I play a game at the start. So, Arclight, I've never heard of before. Pretty disposable character. It was like they 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 already had uh, Callisto to fill in a speaking role, and she's not good enough for a speaking role. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, I take it she's someone from the comics, right?
0: Yeah, she's she's a character I will always, like... <laughs> like... Have uh, animosity towards for something they did in a story when <laughs> I was young.
1: Um,
0: there aren't many of them, and they're all called the Marauders, and I hate them. Yeah. Uh, but in a in a way, like the story made me hate them, not like a no, oh, I don't like that character. Mm. Um, the casting here is pretty good because Ark, in the comics, is is a, originally is absolutely hench bodybuilder mm. with a, quite an androgynous look, and the actor playing arc like here has quite an androgynous look um it was very unique in comic books of that era for for how women were depicted um and she's said to be a war veteran and i personally think that we can draw quite a direct comparison with uh vasquez in 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 aliens Mm. which came out
1: the same year i was thinking just that vasquez from aliens yeah yeah
0: um so um are the morlocks okay the morlocks are there's this kind of underground society of outcast mutants living in tunnels and sewers and abandoned subway lines beneath New York. And they're all misfits and they're all, they have often have physical mutations that mean they just, they're they're instantly stand out amongst Mm. humans and they've been shunned by society. That's who the Morlocks are. Um, kind of like a, uh, dispossessed underclass. Um, In the 1980s, Mr. Sinister, who's obsessed with, like, perfect genetics and breeding and everything, Mm. decides to wipe them out because they are tainting the gene pool. (laughs) So he puts together a team of mutant assassins called the Marauders, Mm. um, and the team includes an early appearance by Sabretooth. Mm. Um and Arclight is part of that team of vicious killers. She has she can generate seismic force with her hands, mm. um, causing shock waves and, and tremors. She's named after a certain type of tactic or something during the Vietnam War mm. that was called the Arc Light. I can't remember what it is at the moment. She releases a shockwave, she generally releases a shockwave whilst punching, creating a shattering punch effect. Mm. Um And the Marauders, like, someone just lets them in to the the closed-off tunnel, a traitor, a vicious, evil traitor called Gambit, Um, (laughs) despicable. And the Marauders (laughs) just go from... These are not... The Morlocks are not a team. They're not fighters. They're just people. The Marauders go from, like, tent to tent and camp to camp and they just murder wholesale slaughter innocent person after innocent person oh bloody it's, hell it was a, a it was a storyline called the mutant massacre um and it's just Arklight herself kills dozens and dozens of mor- mor- morlocks like women children doesn't matter um and then the the x men the x factor kind of hear about what's going on when some some morlocks get word to them and they go and fight them off and everything. But it's treated as a really harrowing slaughter. Mm. Um, It leaves many X-Men characters, mutant characters traumatized and in shock. The Morlocks are completely displaced. and Bloody hell. It's it's during the mutant massacre that the Marauders beat Angel nearly to death and mutilate his wings so badly that they are useless and later um, amputated. And that kind of um, forever
1: haunts the character and leads Mm. to the Archangel... Transformation. I just looked it up. A uh, arc light. Uh, it was a, it was an operation in Vietnam which used B 52s s uh, to help with the ground forces below. So it looked like an intense thing because mm. those. are oh, that's heavy weaponry. Cool. You don't know mm. what B 52s are, do you? I'm
0: not. I don't like military stuff. I'm, they're, really... they're huge planes. Unless they're they're the, kind, the
1: kind you drop nuclear bombs from. Okay. They're huge, huge things. Yeah. <laughs> Big planes. Big planes. Yeah. As the mutants storm towards the building, Warren's father, knowing they're after Jimmy, goes to find the child. Landing the Blackbird on the roof of the building, the X-Men form a line between the mutants and the building. On Magneto's command, the Brotherhood of Mutants charge towards them while Magneto stands back with his lieutenants. As the X-Men fiercely hold the line, Magneto orders Juggernaut to storm the building and kill the boy. Juggernaut barrels towards his target, taking out everyone in his way before breaking into the building. Kitty steps up and chases after Juggernaut, using her phasing powers to head through the walls after him. Catching up with the hulking mutant, Kitty phases Juggernaut into the floor before running away through a wall. However, Juggernaut makes short work at the floor, smashing his way out and pursues Kitty pride from one room to another. Kitty evades Juggernaut by hiding out uh, of his destructive path the moment she enters the lobby, leaving Juggernaut to continue his straight path of destruction. So uh, the line here is, I'm the Juggernaut, bitch. I used to have no problem with this line, but this time I was like, "No, that's awful. This is bad." But it turns out because I thought the meme "I'm the Juggernaut Bitch" was based on this, but it turns out the meme came first. I can't believe you didn't know this I about memes. Did not know this. I I always assume yeah, and, and it makes it even worse that this lines in the film because it's like it's not a stupid line. It's a stupid line they copied off the internet. Yeah, like, so, but, it's a nod to the meme. Jeez, this line, the line in, okay, so to give some background, the line in the film is actually a reference to a viral video. On February 14th, uh, 2006, Randy Hayes and Xavier Nazario of My Way Entertainment made an overdub of an X-Men animated series episode titled Phoenix Saga Part 3, Cry of the Banshee, and uploaded it to their YouTube channel. Relying heavily on profanity for its humour, the video quickly spread on YouTube, but was removed by the platform due to concerns over of offensive language. And original upload has since been deleted. The dub includes the iconic line, "Don't you know who the f I am? I'm the juggernaut bitch." <laughs> it's really the- funny.
0: I watched it recent- watching back recently. It's still really funny if you like idiot swearing, which I do.
1: I I uh, I watched a bit of it uh, before we started recording. Before before we uh, yeah, and and I was giggling. It reminds me, if you can find them, the GI Joe PSA cartoons, which is a similar thing, taking right. the old PSA from GI Joe and redubbing <clears> them, <throat> and they make me hurt laughing because it's just so ridiculous. I'm amazed this came out the same year this movie did. Yeah, it's. I it's thought mad. it came.
0: I thought. I thought. I, I. I. thought there must have been at least a couple of years between it because I thought it that went, too. It went. It did various rounds and cycles of being viral. That's mm. in, in my to my memory, but there you go.
1: God, the mid-noughties were a bit of a blur for me, to be fair. Inside the lab, Warren's father and Dr. Gavita Rao are pursued by Quill and Arclight before Psylocke, another mutant, cuts their path. Realising that Dr. Rao is the one who invented the cure, Quill orders the other two mutants to take Warren away. Quill calms down Dr. Rao in Embrace before killing her with his spikes. Meanwhile, Kitty Pride finally finds Jimmy's cell, but when she tries to phase them both through the wall, nothing happens. Jimmy's power is negating Kitty's. The two listen as booming footsteps come nearer and nearer. Juggernaut explodes through the wall, goading Juggernaut to charge. Kitty moves her and Jimmy out of the way at the last minute, leaving Juggernaut with his power suddenly gone to knock himself out against the wall. So yeah, we got Psylocke in this film with one line. I missed. I just missed that completely. Yeah, yeah. I, I I looked it up and it was like you have. You, there's no way of knowing. You have to actually look it I, up. I
0: I don't. I think what they're doing is just assigning yeah. names of characters in the credit scene. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything.
1: That's pr- pretty much that. So Hank McCoy yelling during a fight just sounds like Frasier when someone has snubbed him at the opera. (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm seeing his Frasier. When he's getting all... I'm like, no, what? It's like, Cam Winston! (laughs) Or something like that. So heartless move by Quill here. He pretends to hug Dr. Rao, but then murders her. What can you tell us about Quill? Is he someone we should know? Mm, Well, he's never called Quill in this movie. Peter Quill.
0: Yeah, and, he's, and he's credited as Kid Omega in the ah, credits. Oh, okay. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a voiceover commentary thing, apparently, that says there was a confusion. This character is definitely Quill. Mm. We'll kind of get to that. So Quill is a character covered in porcupine-like quills that you can use as a shield or shoot out from his body. He's a young, mischievous mutant kid who's studying at the, the X-Men school, uh, a bit of a class clown, there's a fun scene where he, uh, him and his buddies try and steal the test answers to a, to a test, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they get caught in the act by Gambit. Um, but instead of punishing them, Gambit is like, oh, mon ami, you want to really know how to steal? Let Gambit show you how to get away with it. Uh, <laughs> Let Gambit and so he show
1: you, mon frere.
0: <laughs> Start showing them how to like, steal and get away with it. Yeah. Um, now, this is the Omega gang, as they are identify themselves at one point, and this is allegedly Kid Omega, and the Omega gang thing, it's a mix-up because there's an important X-Men character called Kid Omega whose real name is Choir. So I think somebody just got the
1: qu names mixed up and wrong at some point <laughs> i genuinely think that's what happened this is a similar thing to when uh, they accidentally made wolverine australia and they just got that yeah. little mix up and yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah so quentin Quire kid omega he's got psychic powers and stuff but he doesn't have spikes and mm. but then he has a gang called the omega gang okay and he is kid omega i don't i don't know I don't weird know.
1: On the roof of the building, Quill and his helpers throw Warren's father over the edge, but the plummeting industrialist is saved at the last minute by his son swooping in and flying away. Storm, still fighting Callisto, is able to throw her against a metal fence surrounding a power generator. The next second, Storm uses lightning to deliver an intense electrocution to Callisto, killing her. Magneto finally gets involved, throwing cars into the battle, with Pyro setting them alight. As the X-Men take cover, the team notice a broken cure cartridge on the ground, revealing the darts within. Working as a team, Logan gets Iceman to focus on Pyro, with the latter granted with the latter granted Magneto's blessing to take Iceman on. The two elemental mutants use their opposing forces against each other, while Storm generates a shroud of fog. As Pyro's powers start to overwhelm Iceman, the X-Man become becomes his namesake. Transforming into ice before pushing back against Pyro's attack and knocking him out.
0: That was a big moment because that's, big, yep. that's what Iceman has always looked like in the comics, roughly. Yeah. Um, and he never. We had two movies of him not doing that and just making things go frozen. It would have been was, very
1: expensive to do that at the time, I think, yeah, in the whole film. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and plus, like, the actor would have gone, but you can't see my face. But, you know, whatever. So. Before the, MCU, as we said, before the MCU got on full swing This was the biggest superhero fight I'd ever seen in a film
0: And it still, it still kind of holds up It's still yeah. fun isn't it you know, it's it's still fun st-
1: Flying through the air is pretty cool Everyone, I mean it's not as well choreographed As like say an Avengers battle But you've still got a lot of people doing different things With different powers yeah. to make it interesting enough So Storm gets into a serious fight With Callisto here Is there anything you can tell us about Callisto should, uh, She's obviously a character from the comics right yeah,
0: this movie character is a combination of two characters. Oh, from, another one. Yeah, um, and both are Morlocks. Um, so there's one is an a, 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 an albino mutant with a just completely white complexion, kind of a monstrous face. your large yellow eyes. Again, that character is called Caliban. Mm. and Caliban has the ability to psionically sense and detect other mutants and he's able to hunt mutants and use them as a locator Mm. Um, but Callisto when the the X-Men first meet the the Morlocks the leader is a one-eyed badass woman called Callisto she doesn't or Callisto sorry I'm saying Callisto for some reason Callisto Mm. she doesn't really have like mega powers she's got great um, physical senses And she's got like Slightly heightened Physical abilities She's mm. got like the speed and strength of a very good athlete um, But that's about it She doesn't have any mutations That have deformed her like a lot of the Morlocks But she's missing an eye And she has multiple scars Ooh. Which she explains as being That's what happens when mutants think They can live amongst humans <laughs> So she's obviously been through a lot mm. She finds that the, the, she, she takes up residence in a, in a Cold War era bomb shelter hidden in the sewers in New York, and Ooh, wow. she meets Caliban first. And he has the ability to sense other mutants, and together they start tracking down mutants that need help and using mm. the bomb shelter and the tunnels as a sanctuary for mutants that need it. Um, she calls it. She calls them the Morlocks after the H.G. Wells. Uh, yeah, the time uh, machine novel. Time machine people, Because yeah. I live in kind of underground. Um, at one point, she kidnaps Angel. D- they, d- there is a lot of like old literature kind of alleg- allegory. No, um, uh, Clement uses a lot of old literary kind of devices in this. Mm. So. The Morlocks, because they live underground, they immediately become their own society with their own like <laughs> legends and stuff. And they just start kidnapping people when they need stuff. Yeah. Um, and Callisto, Callisto wants a mate, and she kidnaps Angel. Hmm. Um, Kitty Pride and the X Men go to try and like help. Kitty gets a, a a very deadly illness in the Morlock society. She needs to go to a hospital. Callisto uh, refuses to allow them to go to the surface world. Um, and so Storm challenges Callisto uh, to a, a duel for leadership of the Morlocks. <laughs> and Storm wins. Uh, and she is a jointly leader of the X Men and the Morlocks. And. Mm-hmm. Um, and she takes this role pretty seriously. Um, she's like, right, no more kidnapping, no more terrorizing <laughs> surface dwellers. We'll keep, br- we'll help you. We'll bring you this thing called medicine, and we'll bring mm. you bread and stuff. Um, but Callisto uh, and Storm leave with real hatred for each other. It's a very intense fight. Mm. Um, but Callisto kind of respects the thing of she's now the leader and. Um, uh, eventually, she saves Kalisto's life a few times, and, and Kalisto eventually becomes like an ally of the X Men and, and an ally of Storm. Um, yeah, they've got a very interesting oh, dynamic.
1: Oh, wow. As Magneto approaches through the fog, Logan orders Colossus to throw him, just like they did in the danger room. As Logan is launched through the air, Magneto effortlessly pulls Logan down to what the ground. What was that? Uh, he, e- effortlessly. He do it? <laughs> I can't. I have trouble with that word. Effortlessly. <laughs> Which is really weird because there's a lot of effort for me to do that (laughs) work As Magneto gloats at Logan Beast enacts the second part of the ruse Pouncing on Magneto from behind and injecting him with the cure dart Magneto is now a mere human Lying weakly on the ground Magneto turns to Jean Grey Claiming that this is what they want for all of them Looking Looking at an emotional Jean Grey in the eye Logan tells her that it's over However, the next second, a squadron of troops ambushed Jean, firing a barrage of cure darts at her. This only enrages the Phoenix, stopping the darts in midair before turning the soldiers to dust. As Jean starts to enact destruction, everyone evacuates the island across the bridge. As Storm passes Logan, looking worryingly at Jean, Logan tells her that he's the only one who can stop her. Has Magneto ever lost his powers in the comics like this?
0: Not quite like this. It happens in, in, in 2005, the the end of House of M. Decimation.
1: Mm. Ah, his, yes.
0: His daughter, at the end of the House of M, kind of finally decides that her father's obsession with mutants mm. has ruined Wanda's life, so she warps reality yeah. to transform virtually all mutants into humans. It, it alters their DNA. Mm. It doesn't just stop their powers. It really... That's why it's terrible for... Mutants that have had a physical um, deformity mm. Because they, they're, now, they're now a human with an actual physical deformity And no kind of ability to, 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 to save their body from it um, It's pretty bad One of the people that loses their powers is Magneto Yeah. Um, f- he gets it back So about four years, five years later He, he works for the High Evolutionary as you who do we know now yeah and the high evolutionary builds magneto a suit of armor sort of <laughs> powered armor wow. that replicates his um magnetic abilities mm. um, and at the end of that story mm. uh, yeah magneto gets the high evolutionary performs a lot of dangerous procedures and experiments and is able to restore magneto's
1: powers. Oh wow Nice Nice way of introducing him back As Jean uses her power To rip through the island And levitate the water around it Logan slowly approaches her Yelling that he knows She's still in there As Logan approaches Jean tries to disintegrate him But his healing power Just about saves him Struggling to get close And keep himself in one piece Logan finally approaches Jean With her snarling at Logan You would die for them Logan responds No for you causing gene to regain control for a quick second tearfully logan te- te- Lo- tearfully logan tells Jean, i love you before impaling her with his claws as Jean dies in logan's arms the telekinetic chaos stops leaving a crime logan cradling Jean in his arms i like the way logan is walking towards her and keeps losing flesh and you see like the adamantium skeleton beneath it quickly Mm. I I thought that was a great effect, nice touch It's like this whole battling between Regrowing and being turned into dust
0: Taken directly um, from the the comics There's been quite a few scenes over the years Where Wolverine Is
1: just exactly that, walking Mm. Through like an energy attack or a fire Or something Yeah, yeah So this must have been taken from the original stories Does Wolverine kill Jean Grey In a moment like this or Yeah, yeah Uh.
0: Um They are trapped on uh, Asteroid M that's been sent off by Magneto to drift close to the sun. They're dying a slow and terrible death from heat exposure. Gene asks for a quick death. They kiss. He stabs her through the heart. But this only serves to awaken the Phoenix Force within (laughs) Gene Gray. Now, I'm sorry. I love Grant Morrison, and they wrote this story. But that makes no sense. It has been well established that Jean and the Phoenix are two completely separate entities. Yeah, Jean was either she was briefly possessed and then replaced, but she was replaced by the Phoenix. That was that's canon. I was confused reading it back then in the early two thousands. I'm still confused now. I've Mm. not read a shred of a reason for why this story means suddenly means that there's a Phoenix in within her. So annoying
1: Yeah I can um, imagine that being r- incredibly annoying
0: So anyway she becomes uh, Mega powerful Yeah <laughs> And she's able to transform Asteroid M into like this Kind of almost like a, a small spaceship And mm. saves Wolverine And they fly back to Earth
1: yeah. Bloody hell At the X-Mansion Kitty Pride and Storm Storm mourn over the graves of Charles Xavier Scott Summers and Jean Grey Having taken the cure, Rogue surprises Bobby Drake by touching him without hurting him. Under the leadership of the, stor- the storm, sorry, under the leadership of uh, Storm, the school continues to run. Giving a White House press conference, the President appoints Hank McCoy as the United Nations ambassador. Seeing this on TV brings a smile to Logan's face as he comfortably settles down into the school. In San Francisco, Warren Worthington III flies over the ruin of the Golden Gate Bridge as reconstruction is already underway. At a nearby park, a resigned Magneto sits alone at a chess table, looking over the metal pieces, which he can now no longer control. With a sudden perk on his face, he moves his hands towards a rook, and after a few seconds, the metal piece wobbles. Meanwhile, Dr. Moira McTaggart greets a comatose patient she is studying, and is shocked when the patient responds in the voice of Charles Xavier.
0: I hate it when movies just undo dramatic yep. moments yep. at the end of the goddamn movie yep. save that for the sequel Yep. empire strikes back does not end with a post credit scene where han is fine now
1: yeah it's yeah stupid it's 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 a bit of a weird one because like surely they would have arrested magneto like they would have had a he, trial on him
0: he's in he's in prison right
1: no he's in a park He's in a park, mate. Oh
0: yeah, I'm confusing um, it with um, the end of X Men, yeah, yeah. two or one. Uh, uh, unless that's an yeah, incredibly
1: right. fancy prison, <laughs> prison yard. He
0: just I imagine he escaped in the confusion.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So, I thought this was the first superhero post credit scene, uh, but turns out it was actually Daredevil in 2003. If I remember right, it's uh, quick, not quick shot, bullseye in hospital, uh, killing a fly with a. Paper clip, Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Again, they start to undo things. Yeah, because yeah, that movie ends with Daredevil's like, "I've beaten you. I've beaten the Kingpin," and the Kingpin says, "I'll just, I'll just be out almost immediately." And Daredevil goes, "Okay, <laughs> I'll be here waiting." What? That's terrible. Why have I been watching this movie if it changes nothing? If the story changes nothing, why have I been watching the story?
1: Amazing. Oh. I still love the ending with the peace wobbles, and as, and I say, it does make me think of Inception, just just the way. Just sure, the,
0: yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, no, I I, I kind of agree.
1: I also uh, I like to think that Charles Xavier dying and then uh, taking over someone else's body is is just him uploading to the cloud. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 sure, the cloud, yeah. Speaking of which, has Charles Xavier ever transferred his mind into someone else's body like this?
0: Well. Yes, so sort of. Um, he has an evil twin, uh, Ooh. called Cassandra Nova, which Grant Morrison creates when he mm. writes the new day. Sorry, when they write the new X Men. My apologies, not intentional. Uh, I, uh, you know, Grant Grant Morrison uh, changed their pronouns. I uh, sometimes slip up. Mm. Uh, Grant Morrison wrote this wonderful story New X Men, um, and created this evil twin Cassandra Nova. Um And there's a big fight that goes on As Cassandra Nova attacks the X-Men Emma Frost breaks Cassandra Nova's neck um, Charles then shoots Cassandra Nova In the chest six times Ooh. Emptying all the bullets in his like revolver But She switched their minds At the last second And trapped Charles In her dying body Oh god which makes sense because if you watch it, you go, Charles Xavier's not going to empty a gun into someone's body. Nope, that was Cassandra. She switched them and then went bang, 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 bang. So Cassandra Nova goes on to impersonate Charles Xavier, outs him to the public as a mutant, which had never been done before. Begins to chip away at the minds of the other X-Men. Ooh. Their confidence, their trust, their relationships with lots of psychic manipulation. Um, then flies off to the Shia Empire. Mind controls Lalandra and becomes a tyrant of a galactic empire. Um,
1: <laughs> uh,
0: when Jean discovers that Charles's mind is in the dying body of Cassandra Nova that's been mm. in a coma but is slipping away, she uses Cerebra to splinter xavier's minds into small portions and then transplant those portions into the minds of millions of willing mutants all over the world so xavier's consciousness is housed in in all these different mm-hmm. the whole mute the mutant population that he saved time and time and time again is now just saving his mind and they have to put it there and wait for the X-Men to defeat Cassandra and Mm. return Xavier's body. Well, there we have it, folks. The movie we said we'd never do. (laughs) Uh, Many, many years later, Will forced my hand and our hand, and there we go. X-Men, last stand, put to bed, uh, read to us very ably by Mr. Will Preston. And I'd like to know now, Will, as you have... uh, absorbed a huge
1: amount of uh marvel history and trivia in this episode what's been your favorite things that you've learned today oh there's a there's a few there's been so much to learn because there'd be so many x-men in this episode but i think mm. one of them was wolverine taking over the school and then funding the school with diamonds grown from krakoa the living island <laughs> which is just absolutely mad the other one which you might have covered before was uh the phoenix swallowing the energy of a star Causing a solar system to be destroyed Crazy Yeah that's that's absolutely mad But what I loved was uh, Scott Summers moving on after Jean Grey's death And uh, while in bed with, with Emma Emma Frost His Wolverine perched the end of the bed <laughs> saying what, what stage of grief is this Which is just beautiful writing
0: And your final thoughts on, on the movie
1: Will Here we go So it's an incredibly rushed film that's aged poorly. I think I noticed new reasons to dislike it this time around. It's not long enough to do everything it needs to do, and it's still packed way too much in. They should have focused on one story instead of trying to combine these two long narratives. There were some moments I like, but they're not enough to save this in any way. Knowing what, what I know about X-Men comics and what the storylines were, I can see why many people hated this film. However, I would really have loved to see more of Kelsey Grammer as Beast, and I really hope when the X-Men come to the MCU, it's far removed from anything like this.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Will. Reading list, the things we've touched on that are really good, you should check out. The Dark Phoenix Saga. There's some good collections of the Dark Phoenix Saga. Read how it should really be. (laughs) Um, Astonishing X-Men Hope by Joss Whedon. I mean, that's the one that has the Cure stuff in it, but really... Any of Joss Whedon and John Cassidy's astonishing X-Men is wonderful and well worth a read. Um, for the very dark, totally we'll the Morlocks and the Marauders, there's a collection called The Mutant Massacre. It's very '80s, but it's kind of fun. Um, for Madrox stuff, uh, you want to check out X Factor by Peter David or X Factor Investigations by Peter David. Um, lots of Madrox, the multiple man fun to be had in that. In our next episode, we're going to do something we've never. Done before Insomniac Games brings us The most highly anticipated Marvel Release of all time with Spider-Man 2 Me and Will Are going to take a look at a video game For the first time We're going to take a special look at the first Insomniac Spider-Man game It's going to be a deep dive into the story mode The different skins, the easter eggs Pulling it all apart To find the comic book history And trivia that lives in that First Spider-Man game Don't forget to check out patreon.com slash Marvel for cool bonus episodes. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show was produced by Will Preston and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel for awesome bonus content.